The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 257 for Wednesday, November 26, 2014. I'm your host, Rich. Our call number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call number 347-324-3541. All right. So, obviously, it is Thanksgiving Eve and obviously tomorrow being Thanksgiving Day, there will only be this week's show. There will be no show tomorrow. So after asking multiple listeners and posting it in a couple of places, we decided we're going to do a little throwback status this week and go with the original format, which obviously is all four topics. We're going to be talking MMA, pro wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. As always, if this is your first time tuning in, those are the topics that My Take Radio covers. Usually, Wednesdays is reserved for MMA and wrestling, and Thursdays belongs to gaming and entertainment. Sometimes we throw some tech in there. As always, MTR is rated M for mature, so if you are under 18, uh, get your parents' permission so I don't get any hate mail. <laughs> Simple as that. A uh, couple of things on, on, on the dock tonight before we jump into tonight's topics. First off, um, we're going to be joined by a lot of the MTR Rageworks Work staff. I know Ben is going to chime in for some MMA. I know that Slick will probably join us for some gaming. Uh, the Buried Boys may show up as well and cause some mischief. I know that I received a communique from them with regards to a Thanksgiving edition of Buried, which we're going to be working on um, post-show tonight, and we'll get that out for you guys to enjoy during the break. Just a quick reminder the MTR schedule will continue with its normal format next week all the way through the middle of December. Just a quick note that the last episode of My Take Radio will be the episodes for December 17th and December 18th. Those shows will be the last shows of 2014, and as such, you know, that's gonna how we're going to close out the year. Again, the last two shows of 2014 will be December 17th and December 18th. But um, before we get into that, got a, a couple of funny stories for you guys. And I do have a monologue for this week based on some conversations and things that have been happening uh, this past week that I kind of wanted to address and share my thoughts on. As always, 
These thoughts are my own. They do not reflect the thoughts of our staff, our partners, and any of our content providers either. So again, these are my thoughts. So uh, I want to open up with something a little serious and close out with a little with something a little lighthearted. And um, basically, it's what's been happening this week. I, I, I kind of want to touch on the Ferguson situation. And the reason I want to touch on it is because I've watched the last couple of days uh, people who I'm good friends with on Facebook uh, just just at each other's throats at odds over what's been going on in Ferguson either because they feel, uh, you know, there's racial undertones. Some people have their own unique views on it. I've seen people be unfriended on Facebook because of their views. And um, I kind of want to go into that more so than the than the inner workings of the situation itself. By now, it should be no shock. It, you know, it's no shock to anybody what's going on over there and the amount of turmoil that this situation has caused across the U.S. from uh, just people being divided in, in, you know, in their neighborhoods, in, in the, on the Internet. It's been it's been a, a crazy, crazy situation. I mean, we have this these situations every few years and every every time they happen, they just continue to escalate and become worse and worse. And I want to touch on first um, what's been happening. I've been seeing, like I said, a lot of my friends just unfriending each other. Uh, just not familiar or or not comfortable with the views of their friends, et cetera, et cetera. And I wanted to touch on that first because if it's one thing that I try to avoid, especially uh, on my personal Facebook and just in, just in in general, is I try not to be too opinionated with regards to religion, politics, race, and gender. Not because I shy away from these topics, because on the contrary, I don't give a shit. People, you know, I wear I wear my my truths on my sleeve. There's no there's no dismissing what they are or what they stand for. But the fact is that when you open the Pandora's box known as politics or race or any of that, what it ends up causing is just, a, you know, it just causes unnecessary an unnecessary spotlight on you as an individual. And the reason I say this is. Because we're all friends, um, whether it's close friends, Facebook friends, whatever the case may be. And a lot of times we only know one side of a person. And what happens is when you start learning more about that person, you end up not liking what they're about. I know a couple of guys who I'm friends with and um, I'm, I'm genuinely friends with these guys. But there's a lot of shit that they do. I don't agree with it. I'm not a fan for whatever reason. And, um, you know, the fact is. When I see that, I just it bothers me because, like I said, we are we're we're in a we're in a day and age where we're we're very open, we're very accessible, and there are instances where where shit gets said that's a little a little off the cuff. But I have to be honest when I say that if you're my friend, like my legitimate friend, like we go back, we've got stories, we've got you know situations that. I would expect that you would know me as a person and you'd understand uh, my good points and my bad points and you're welcome to disagree with them. You're welcome to agree with them. That's how it is. I mean, Slick can vouch. Slick Slick has been my friend for many years now. And there are conversations him and I have had where I'm sure he doesn't agree with my viewpoints, but he respects me enough as a friend to be like, eh, 
I don't agree with that, but hey, it's how you feel, and that's it. You know, same thing, same thing with um, you know, guys like Jay, um, Quark, Blade. I mean, Blade is my nephew. Um, you know, there, there's there's things like that where I, I'm sure I'm sure I don't listen. I'm sure I say things that are just off the cuff, but I'm gonna be honest when I say that if people are unfriending each other because of their views on Facebook then I'm sorry to say, but y'all, you guys aren't friends. These are the facts. You know, if I don't like what you got to say, or I don't like what your Facebook page looks like, I'll just hide your, your notifications for a little bit until it eases down. But people are genuinely unfriending each other because of this situation. And I'm sorry to say, but if you're friends with somebody and you didn't know that they were a closet racist, you're a fucking idiot. If you are friends with somebody and you didn't know that they were a bigot, uh, sexist, whatever the case may be, whatever negative thing that you may not agree with, if you knew this from the from jump and you're offended with it out on social media, then you're a fucking phony. And like I said, I saw I saw a lot of friendships just fall apart over the last couple of days. And I'm gonna just share my take on on the Ferguson situation in a more broad manner. I'm not gonna go into the the inner workings of the judicial system or or what led to Michael Brown being shot or what led to the cop doing an interview and all the all the the build up leading up to uh, Michael Brown shooting just being incredibly questionable i can sit here and i can break that down but we're not law and order this is not any sort of legal show so that's not the kind of shit we want to do i want to entertain i want to you know make you guys laugh you know make you guys think but I want to get this off my chest because it's been bugging me. And here's here's where I stand. As far as I know, and as far back as we've gone, we know that people people have a right to protest, partake in civil disobedience, um, do what they got to do to try and make a difference. This goes, you know, this goes back to Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, and countless other individuals that were involved in raising human consciousness. And that's great. But it seems that the 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 motivation to protest has splintered into the motivation to loot, to flip cars over, to burn down businesses, to just carry on and make complete fools of ourselves. And that is where I have an issue. If you have an issue with law enforcement or you have an issue with authority in general, there are right ways to do things. And I took a lot of I took a lot of issue with with people's businesses being burned down because if you're out there trying to protest and you're trying to make a difference, that difference shouldn't involve burning down somebody's livelihood, their business that they probably scrimped and saved to get off the ground. That's not it. Making a difference shouldn't involve throwing a brick through a window of a 99 cent store and and stealing everything that's in it or a sneaker store, or a clothing store, or whatever. It shouldn't involve flipping people's cars over. It shouldn't involve setting people's cars on fire. Because what that does is that fuels the, the, the media machine to feed us not only disinformation, but misinformation. And the reason I say it in, the, in those particular ways is because there's information that's just completely wrong, then there's information that's altered. And that's how it is. For, for every... A uh, group of people that burned down a Little Caesars in Ferguson. There are groups of protesters protecting businesses to ensure that other people that are complete psychos 
don't burn those differences that don't burn those businesses down. And that's something that the media doesn't want to discuss. The same thing with with crimes uh, related to race. Obviously, it's always going to it's easier to discuss the black on white. But, you know, nobody talks about the, you know, the white on black, the black on black, the white on white, the brown on brown. Uh, Listen, we live in a society where we're we're more inclined to kill each other than to work together. That's how it is. We are our own enemies. We are our own. We are the engineers of our own destruction. These are the facts. You know, it's like for every five protesters that are out there trying to make a difference, there are 10 motherfuckers that are out there trying to recreate the purge. That's that's how it is. There's for, for every for every 15 people trying to make a difference. There's 25 that want to watch the world burn. And that's all well and good. But you know what that does? That creates a cloud over everybody else. And I hate to break it to you, especially especially if you're my friend or or if I know you in the real world. But we're all pieces of shit. In our own unique and special ways, we're all pieces of shit. From from not letting the guy into your lane and pretending to look ahead to pressing the elevator button so that you don't have to ride the elevator with anybody to maybe not holding the door for somebody to whatever the case may be. We all have shitty tendencies. It's just a matter of how shitty we are on that particular day. So for those of you that are out there trying to get your Facebook law degrees and, you know, trying to trying to acknowledge that you're some sort of of, you know, revolutionary. Listen, if you're not out there getting hit with a nightstick, trying to make a difference peacefully, then you don't know what it's like. You're not making a difference. What liking a picture, you know, one like one prayer, you're doing nothing writing a a five-page manifesto on your Facebook wall about the disparities of race in our country, guess what you're doing? Shit. You want to make a difference? Go to your local community group. Go to a fucking soup kitchen. Feed the homeless. You know? Do something to make a difference instead of sitting behind a keyboard and acknowledging the imperfections of our world and thinking that you're better for it because you're acknowledging it. It's bullshit. And the worst part is this Ferguson situation, everybody's up in arms about it today. Let's let's find out two weeks from now, a month from now, if people are going to be as angry as they are today. And, I, and you know, and, and this isn't to take away anything from from an unarmed man getting killed. But, you know, Mortis just mentioned Coney, you know, Coney is a great example. Everybody up in arms. Coney 2012. Share this video. Do this. Do that. That's great. That's great. You know, you're raising awareness. Congratulations. Pat yourself on the back. But have you, you know, the same way you donate to that cause or this cause or this other cause. Have you have you donated to your local Salvation Army? Have you donated to your local soup kitchen? Have you maybe bought a homeless person half a sandwich? No, you haven't done that. Okay, then. So you are making zero fucking difference. That's it. That's where I stand. I'm all for protesting. I'm all for making a difference the right way. I'm not for 
burning down the businesses of people that have worked probably just as hard as the people protesting to build themselves up. No, I'm not with that. I'm not with flipping over cars. Not with that either. Because you are you are accomplishing nothing. You know what you're accomplishing? A rubber beanbag round to the chest. Possibly a nightstick shot to the kidney because some cop is paranoid thinking you're going to kill him. Maybe you just want tear gas in your eyes that night. Or maybe you want to spend the night in lockup. That's great. But don't call it protesting at that point. Call it being an asshole. That's it. And if you agree with me, great. If you don't agree with me, hey, you're entitled to it. This is an open platform. That's the way it is. But I'm just tired of uh, social media activists and revolutionaries, ha- you know, hashtag activists going out there, you know, the, sharing their their Michael Brown hashtags and hiding behind their keyboards, but they won't go out there and stand in the street and hold up a sign. You know, they're not going to do that. They're not. But but they'll be upset as fuck. These are the same guys that will talk about black black and white violence or or or, or African Americans killing each other, but they'll be the first ones to share a world star video. So so what what is the where does it end? You know, as we as individuals, where where do we put our foot down? You know, it's 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 that simple. Instead of going on going on Facebook and writing your manifesto about you know black on black crime, white on black crime, sharing all these videos or 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 hiding behind racial undertones, acknowledge that you're a piece of shit. That's the first part. You know, acknowledge that. Wake up, go downstairs, take a leak if you gotta, look in the mirror. And go, today I'm going to try to be less of a piece of shit than I was yesterday. And the minute you come to that moment of clarity, you'll feel better about yourself. You know? That's that, That's where I stand. You know, instead of waking up and trying to find things that you can jump on to feel relevant, to feel like you're part of the social consciousness, instead of doing something to feel that way, do something genuinely. Go out there. You know, go out there and do that. You want to make a difference? Don't make a difference with a like on Facebook. Go out there and do something. Volunteer. You know, that's it. The same people that are, oh, these kids are starving in another country. Hell, what about the kids that are starving here? You know, how's that? How about the people that are starving here? You know, we'll share we'll share a dozen different things about a, duf, a dozen different tragedies, but we won't share that. You know, we'll share a hundred different memes, but in the same in the same instance, we won't go and donate some clothes that we don't wear. Instead of complaining about the kids with the tight ass pants, maybe do something about it. Don't be one of them. Do something about it. It's simple as that, you know. Slick right. Ben goes hell. I can't take any activist post that has Jake the dog as an avatar and posted a video making fun of Bill Cosby being rapey. Slick writes the people that are chanting USA two weeks ago aren't doing shits for veterans today. That is a beautiful example. 
and I just I just wanted to get that off my chest. As you know, Thanksgiving is is tomorrow. There's a lot to be thankful for, and I am thank you. I'm thankful for the freedom to come on here and say what I gotta say. I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for you guys tuning in and hearing hearing my bullshit for two and three hours at a clip. But I hate to say it. The the sooner we realize that we are we are logs of shit in a in a giant toilet waiting waiting to be flushed, the sooner we'll feel better about whatever we do. That's it. You know, be a better human. That's 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 kind of just how I want to sum it up. Just be a better human. Don't be a better African American or Latino or white American or Italian American or whatever the case may be. Don't be a better Native American. Just be a better human. That's it. Just just be a better human being. And you, and it doesn't have to be a thousand things. You don't have to wake up tomorrow and and pretend to be the next Mother Teresa. But the 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 easy thing, one thing a day. Yo, I'm gonna do one decent thing today. Whatever that is. You know, one decent thing. Simple as that. Which leads me to my one thing that I did not do today. Like I said. I'm going to go from something serious to something a little more lighthearted. And Slick will appreciate this because Slick knows that situations like this only happen to him and to me. (laughs) So before I left my office today for the holiday weekend, I decided to go pick up some groceries at the local BJ's. Now, obviously, there's a lot of jokes there. But for those of you that are listening to the show that are not U.S. residents, or don't know what BJ's is, BJ's is a big box store that requires you to have a membership usually to shop there. Now, most times you can shop there if you don't have a membership, but you're not going to pay the quote-unquote discounted price. Now, the equivalent of BJ's is, yeah, like Sam's Club, Ben, exactly. There's Sam's Club is, is one, Costco is another, exactly. Same thing. So, right within walking distance from my job, there is... A BJ's. So I said, you know what? I want to go pick up a case of water, but for, you know, because I'm going to be in the kitchen cooking all day tomorrow. So I want to make sure I have some water to drink throughout the day, and I want to pick up uh, maybe a pump, an extra pumpkin pie, and because I didn't feel like baking tomorrow, and um, <laughs> well said, slick, well said. But yeah, so I figured I pick up some some last minute things. For Thanksgiving, and the beauty of it is, since the weather here is incredibly inclement, even though people thought that we were going to get 20 pounds of snow, I knew that we were going to have minimal people in there. So, walk into BJ's, show my card, buy my shit. So, I go and I try to go to the self checkout so I can get the fuck out of there. Go to the self checkout, pay for my stuff. This lady, older lady, sneaks up behind me. And she's like, excuse me. And my, and I have my, my my headset on. I'm like, excuse me. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, what the fuck is that? So I take off my headset and I go, yes, can I help you? And she was like, can you scan your BJ's card for me? And I said, I thought about it. And I said, no. And the reason is because you pay for the membership. The card is in your name. And if that person pays for their stuff with another credit card and is not you, you're going to get into some shit. So I said, listen, sorry, can't. 
So the lady had the nerve to get upset. Like, really? For a BJ's card? Ugh. And she just walked away. And I thought about that for a minute. You know, you I, I thought about it. Oh. Which call dropped out? Oh, looks like the show audio dropped out. Hold on a minute, guys. Uh, here we go. Oh, I thought it dropped out. Guess it didn't. Oof, I got scared. <laughs> that is the paranoia in any case. So she she got annoyed and she walked away. So I thought about it and I was like, was I in the wrong? And then I said to myself, no, fuck no, I wasn't in the wrong. A membership for that place is 50 bucks a year. 50. So you could have bought it. You could have bought the membership yourself. Or better yet, you could have, get this, just decided to go and pay for the stuff at full price. But the fact that you didn't get a handout made you upset. And I said to myself, you know, that might, that, that could have been my good deed for the day, but it can't. Because clearly, it's um, jeopardizing, jeopardizing yourself. It was, it was just complete and utter bullshit. And I figured I'd share it with you guys because, again, talking about being a better human, this was one instance where my judgment outweighed my necessity to be a better human. And I could have just said, listen, go fuck yourself. And that would have been that, but <laughs> that definitely would have not been the way to go. But in any event, I figured I'd, I'd share both sides of the coin with you guys, something a little more serious and something a little lighthearted. But um, just to, to close out the monologue and, and kind of move things along, I got to say exactly that. You know, just listen, we're, none of us are perfect. We, we, we pretend to be to make ourselves feel better. We are all flawed motherfuckers. Some more flawed than others. So just just be a better human. That's it. You know, Thanksgiving's around the corner, the holidays, all that bullshit. You know, whether you participate, don't participate, believe, don't believe. Just just be a better human. That's it. Uh, that's that's pretty much where I stand on the matter. Be a better human. I think um, everybody, everybody else will will appreciate you for it. That's it. All right. So. What do we got on tap for tonight? So we're going to talk about this past weekend's UFC card. We're going to talk about the week's MMA news. We are also going to break down Survivor Series, Raw, and, um, you know, all the week's wrestling news. And then we will take it from there. Slick is telling me that he is not getting any audio through the phone. Let me try and let me try and cue Slick up and see what happens. Slick, are you there? No, no slick. Ben, are you there? Hmm. No Ben either. Interesting. Huh. But you guys are you guys are catching it on Mixler though, right? If you guys are catching it on Mixler, then that's working fine. Alright. Oh, let me see. <laughs> Thank you, Mortis. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to see if I can uh, hang up this line and then go and then dial back in. So that's really weird. 
it's um I'm logged in. It shows me on air on Blog Talk Radio, yet I'm not dialed in, which is really, really, really weird. <laughs> I have no clue as to why that is. So, uh, you know what it is? If you if you end the episode slick, I can't start a new episode. Unfortunately, that's uh, I that's the only problem. So. Unfortunately, we're going to have to work on an alternative for the time being. So we're just going to run through the show. If I could get it up and running, we'll rock with it. I know I know Ben had some stuff he wanted to share. So you guys are going to have to contribute via the chat. And I'm going to have to play. Um, I'm going to have to play the guest call reader in order to get it to work. Because clearly um, it's just it's just not working well. Hold on a minute. What happened there? We're going to plow through it as usual, and then we'll see what happens. Um, if it works, great. If it doesn't, then obviously I know, Ben, I own you. I owe you a rain check and Jay as well. So let's not let's not belabor the issue any further and jump into this week's MMA, shall we? This week's MMA segment is brought to you by MMAWarehouse.com. Get all the latest and greatest MMA gear and also training gear at MMAWarehouse.com. All right, so it's been, a, it's been a weird week for MMA as we are approaching the end of 2014. Obviously, there are a ton of great fights on the horizon, including the return of Anderson Silva, Cormier and Jones, uh, Ronda Rousey back in the octagon, we got a brand new interim heavyweight champion in Fabricio Verdum, and things just keep getting weirder and weirder in the sport of mixed martial arts. We got, you know, Chael going to ESPN. We have him and Jim Ross commentating on MMA fights. We got a lot of fighters that are just coming out of the woodwork, making really, really strong showings. Obviously, Conor McGregor, Frankie Edgar's performance this past weekend Definitely something to talk about. So let's get into UFC Fight Night 57, which went down this past weekend. And um, I do want to talk about the women's strawway bout, which, again, the UFC dropping the ball with their UFC fight pass. It was Kaylin Curran taking on Paige Van Zant in an incredibly competitive fight. I actually had to end up watching this fight on YouTube because the fight was so well, it went so well, and nobody got to see it. All you saw were um, tweets about it, highlights about it, just people commenting about it, but the fight itself was relegated to Fight Pass. Anyway, Paige Van Zant came in, did her thing, beautiful TKO via punches in the third round, an incredibly uh, violent display of mixed martial arts. No, that was not the exploding ear valve, that was from... <laughs> that was from last week. <laughs> the exploding ear was last week. But as I said, Paige Van Zant, great performance in the octagon. Uh, definitely going to make things interesting for the strawweight division, especially with the amount of talent coming out of the ultimate fighter. So definitely um, 
an individual to keep an eye on. Obviously, I'm sure they're going to market her well because easy on the eyes too, which, you know, that that's that's something that they're not going to acknowledge outright, but they're definitely going to try and do. Now, with regards to some of the other fights, the rest of the card was pretty solid. I did want to talk about a couple of fights. Uh, Matt Wyman, Isaac Valley flag was a, a very solid fight. Matt Wyman took that fight via unanimous decision. Wyman looked very good. It wasn't the prettiest fight, but um, they definitely uh, they definitely showcase Matt Wyman correctly. Isaac Valley Flag was a good perf- was a good opponent for him. Um, I think Wyman he just needs one or two wins and to get it, to make himself relevant again. I always felt Wyman was a very um, underrated fighter because his performances fluctuate between really solid and have shades of brilliance to complete and utter bullshit but in any case it was a good performance I liked his fight I like Isaac Valley flag definitely did not make it easy for him so again a solid performance by Wyman now Joe Benavides um is a guy who's who's always talked about in title contention in the flyweight side of things I know Ben and I have talked about him at length uh, he took on Dustin Ortiz in another solid fight that ended via unanimous decision I do feel Joseph Benavides is a guy in the flyweight division that as as much as they try to push him, Ben and I have talked about this um, at length, the flyweight division does not have credible guys to to really round out that division. It almost feels like you're seeing the same five guys up there. You know, you got Joe Benavides up there and, and you got a couple of other guys, name guys, but it almost feels like they're like they're in a circle and they're you're exchanging partners every couple of months. It almost it almost feels like that division is littered with upper crop guys and then up and coming talent and the rest are just talent that aren't I'm not saying they're not up to snuff, but they're not guys that are gonna be challenging for a title anytime soon. And this re, you know, this actually reinforces what Ben and I have discussed about the divisions needing especially the lighter divisions, just they need more talent in there. It's one of the things that that really gets me. I mean, you're bringing in the strawweight division, and that's great. There's a lot of dangerous women there, a lot of entertaining fights, but you're also, excuse me, losing the focus on your your lower divisions, your lighter weight classes, where you definitely have to fill out that division because you got a guy like Demetrius Johnson who's just steamrolling guys, and the only credible opponent for him is a guy who's injured in John Dodson. No disrespect to some of the other guys because the other guys are all solid talents. But they're all, it almost feels like you can interchange every challenger because Demetrius Johnson has beat them. And that's the problem. Like right now, Joe Benavides, dangerous guy, solid guy. He can probably challenge. But again... It's a fight that it almost feels like we've seen it before. And that's my issue. When you look at these guys, especially in the flyweight division, you're thinking to yourself, oh, these guys are, you know, they're very fast. They're very rock'em, sock'em robots, but there's not a lot of power in their strikes. And that's not necessarily the case. It just, it's just, it's another level of opponents. You know, guys like John Dodson, they got, they have lightning fast hands. They got, um, you know, we got they got fast hands, they got great power, but you're going to see the upper tier guys are the guys with the highlight reel knockouts and just 
the the incredible performances. But the problem is, like I said, those guys are the guys that keep they kind of just it's a revolving door of the same five guys. And in Demetrius Johnson's case, it's tough because sure he could go up and wait, but you know they're always going to try and find him somebody to challenge. I mean he's going to get to the point, and and I don't know if Ben agrees with this, but. If he were to fight John Dodson again and beat John Dodson, is there a case to is there a case to be made for Demetrius Johnson to go up a weight class? Because I honestly feel that at that point, after fighting the, a very talented guy like John Dodson, we have reached the end of the line. That's that's where I stand. I think we've reached the end of the line in terms of of challengers for him that are credible and not only that dangerous enough to take his title. And the more frustrating thing is, um, is that there, again, they don't market this guy. You have a young talented fighter that has almost essentially cleaned out the division, but they don't talk about him because he's not out there talking shit and making a spectacle of himself, but he is one of the most dangerous guys on the roster. You know, he is one of the most dangerous guys on the roster in one of the lightest weight classes, but nobody knows. It's a miracle that he gets the promotion he gets for his title defenses because, again, nobody knows who he is because they're not marketing him correctly. And Ben says it. He Ben thinks that he can beat Lineker and he can beat um, Uncle Creepy Ian McCall. The only challenger he has left is John Dodson. And it's like, after that, what then? But that's the problem. Dana White's not going to talk about Demetrius Johnson cleaning out the division because he's too worried about John Jones cleaning out the division. You know, when's GSP coming back? And and while those are great concerns, you have to market all your talent in a favorable light because these are the guys that are going to bring in new fans. You think a short guy, a short kid that's an aspiring mixed martial artist is is not gonna fee, is not gonna gravitate towards individuals that look like him. Simple as that. I mean, yeah, everybody growing up wanted to be like Mike, but it's it's one of those things where people people are gravitating towards more individuals that are like them. Whether whether it's athletes that are handicapped or African American athletes or Latino athletes or female athletes. There's an athlete for everyone to follow. And guys like John Dodson, guys like Demetrius Johnson, they should be pushed because they bring something to the sport. They bring a level of excitement and they bring a level of clean sportsmanship that nobody's acknowledging. You know, the problem is that the, that the UFC wants, you know, the Conor McGregor's, the Brock Lesnar's, the Ronda Rousey's, because at that point they don't have to do any work themselves. You know? The guy, you know, these are guys that are living well, that don't, they don't need the promotion. They don't need the UFC to book their appearances and get them press because they get press on their own. You think Ronda Rousey needs the UFC to get press for her? You think Ronda Rousey needs, um, uh, you know, organizations to go out there and try and book all these tours? You know who needs the promotion? Guys like Alexander Gustafson, Anthony Rumble Johnson, who are incredibly dangerous fighters and are a legitimate threat to John Jones, but no one knows who they are. No one knows who Alexander Gustafson is outside of, oh, that's the guy that almost beat John Jones, but nobody knows who he is, you know? 
Do do you think anybody knows who the fuck Fabricio Verdum is? Or the fact that he was the guy that tapped out a living legend in Fedor Emelianenko? Does anybody know that outside of the hardcore fan base? No. I don't know that. They don't know that Fabricio Verdum is, is, pretty much is in, is in MMA history for defeating Fedor. Nobody talks about that. You know who mentions it? Joe Rogan in passing. That's it. But nobody knows. Nobody knows who that guy is. Which, again, it's terrible. Do you think anybody knows? And, I, and I'll be honest. Do you think anybody knows who Robbie Lawler is? Outside of legitimate MMA fans. You know? Does anybody know that? Mortis said Anthony Johnson is the guy who lost in a to a 170-pounder when he was poked in the eye. That's correct. But what else do you know? And, and you know, in your case, Mortis, it's different because... You know mixed martial arts, so obviously asking you that is is you know it's a, it's a joke. But realistically, who knows? Who knows? Who knows who who Anthony Johnson is? Alexander Gustafson is uh, Fabricio Verdum, Kat Zingano. Who knows anything about Kat Zingano other than all the personal tragedy she endured? What else is there to know? Big load of nothing. Big load of zero donut. Nothing. Like I said, who knows about Robbie Lawler? Why aren't they pushing guys like Robbie Lawler? No. Johnny Hendricks. Who knows anything about him other than the fact that he has a beard and he, you know, he got the belt because GSP left. Hate to say it, but that's how people and that's how the casual or or new MMA fan knows who that guy is. Here's here's one better. Chris Weidman. What do people know about Chris Weidman? Oh, he's the guy that broke Anderson Silva's leg. <laughs> you know, he's the guy that knocked Anderson Silva out because Anderson Silva was jerking off in the cage and he got punched in the face. You know, but that's that's the kind of stuff I'm saying. And and the thing is that nobody knows who these guys are. Nobody. Nobody. I'll be honest. Do people really know? Do they really know who Nick Diaz is? I'll be honest. Do they really know? Other than him being the guy that smokes weed and gives the finger and Caesar Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and Tommy Tollhold videos. Does anybody know anything else? And that and there is the problem. You know? Ben says hardcores do, that's about it. And that is an argument that is as old as time itself. The UFC lost, according to an article, um, they lost a sizable amount of money, and I'm going to get into that later on in, in, in the segment. But I'll put this out there. Do you think for one second that the UFC would have lost money if they would have promoted stars that they already have? You know, the John Jones... The, the, the Chris Weidmans, the Johnny Hendricks. I should be turning on my TV and seeing Chris Weidman fucking doing Papa John's pizza commercials. That should happen. It should. I should see Johnny Hendricks doing commercials for Wrangler jeans instead of old-ass Brett Favre. That should happen. You know? I should see a guy like Demetrius Johnson 
doing a commercial for Xbox Live or doing a commercial as a gamer. But we'll never get that. No, not going to happen. It's 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 ridiculous. Simple as that. It is ridiculous. Anyway, let me go through the rest of this card. And um, I want to talk about Edson Barboza versus Bobby Green because the fight was super exciting. Super exciting. It's crazy because Bobby Green came in there with, um, you know, an incredible amount of, of mental, uh, not mental problems, but just a lot on his mind. Um, you know, he's a, he's a very, he's a very mental fighter and he was dealing with a lot of personal tragedies and he was trying to get past them. And there were even rumors that he was going to retire after this fight. Um, Edson Barboza definitely is the real deal. Bobby Green is not a slouch. And, um, Ben says, I wish Bobby Green would have fought more aggressively. I agree. But like I said, you know, there's definitely a little bit of, uh, of, of a psychological issue there. Like I said, Bobby Green has been dealing with a lot of personal tragedy. I think it's been affecting him more than he lets on. And he is probably, um, he's probably a guy that would, would probably benefit from a sports psychologist or just a psychologist in general to, to help him just move past some of the, 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 the personal trauma that he's been dealing with, you know, with the passing of his brother and situations like that. I think that that's one of the things that in his case, you know, he's a very, he seems to be just a very cerebral fighter, a guy that, that can get very emotional and maybe he needs to take some time away from the sport, reflect, and then come back when his head is on right. Because the dude, the dude's an entertaining fighter. He's an exciting fighter, but I do feel that there is an underlying issue there, and he has he has mentioned it in numerous interviews. And I think I think that's definitely an underlying issue. Again, that's just my my take on it. But I do feel that the fight could have gone a lot differently if he would have been a lot more aggressive. I do have to agree with Ben. Now, let's talk about the big one, the elephant in the room, featherweight title, not not a featherweight title fight, but featherweight title qualifier which is pretty much what was said on every social media outlet between Frankie Edgar and Cub Swanson for the Frankie Edgar that showed up was probably the quote you know to quote Joe Rogan the best Frankie Edgar we have ever seen Frankie Edgar beat the holy shit out of Cub Swanson but the beauty of it was that Cub Swanson in defeat was just an incredibly humble fighter. Just, you know, he, he he thanked Frankie Edgar for the opportunity. He said, you know, I learned I learned a lot in this fight. And that's what happens, you know. You take guys like Frankie Edgar who are, again, a lot of people feel that Frankie Edgar's time is winding down, but I think that Frankie Edgar's a guy that just continues to improve. The guy is a dangerous, dangerous wrestler. He's just a dangerous all-around fighter. And honestly, he definitely has made a strong case to challenge Jose Aldo for the belt. Now, I gotta post it. I gotta put it to to Ben. Um, if if he fights Jose Aldo, this Frankie Edgar we saw Saturday, could he beat him? Could Frankie Edgar beat Jose Aldo? And that, and for me personally, I, I'll give Ben time to type his response. For me personally. I kind of feel that if he pushes the pace, he could catch Jose Aldo. If he pushes the pace, I think he can catch Jose Aldo because 
I think in Jose Aldo's case, he came into the last fight a little bit more emotional. Um, definitely not as composed as he usually is versus, you know, some of his previous opponents. And I think that that's going to be a factor. A guy like Frankie Edgar, who is such a, a, a you know, a well-rounded fighter, can pose a problem for Jose Aldo. Now, obviously a strong case could be made for Conor McGregor if he defeats Dennis Seaver. Now, if we look at it from a statistical standpoint, we would agree that Frankie Edgar can challenge Jose Aldo for the belt. But if we look at it from a what's going to make the UFC the most money, clearly it's going to be Conor McGregor and Jose Aldo. So, taking that into consideration, let's do it from a a more even keel, which is, are we going to make money and how are we going to make money? And the answer is simple. If Conor McGregor gets past Dennis Seaver, Conor McGregor should fight Frankie Edgar. Simple as that. The winner of that fight fights Jose Aldo. That's it. And the reason I say this is that from a business standpoint, you get the money fight with the Conor McGregor hype machine. Not only that, but... At the end of the day, if Frankie Edgar beats Conor McGregor, people are just going to say because Frankie Edgar is the real deal and McGregor was all talk. But on the flip side, there's an incredible story to be told for a guy like Conor McGregor to take the tie, to take the opportunity from Frankie Edgar and fight Jose Aldo and win. See, from a from a from a bankroll standpoint, the UFC is is hoping and praying to their god of gods that McGregor is as real as he as he proclaims himself to be. Because if he is, then the UFC have a bona fide star that, once again, they don't even have to promote because he promotes himself. Now, as I said, this is what the UFC has become. They've become the check-cashing organization. That's it. If you're marketable and you can market yourself effectively and get all the mainstream press that possible without them having to do shit, then they will invest every ounce of their energy into you. You got the Fertitas putting up Conor McGregor in their suites. You got all this shit. You know, you got him flying here, hanging out with the with the Fertitas, with Dana, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And at the end of the day, all that's doing is that that is creating the hype machine that will allow a guy like Conor McGregor to thrive without the UFC having to do much. That's it. You know, the same thing applies to guys like Chael. You know, Chael, Chael sold his own fights. The UFC didn't have to do shit. I, I hate to say it, but those are the facts. The UFC didn't have to do a fucking thing. Chael carried all the bags there. Same thing with Brock Lesnar. Same thing with Nick Diaz. As much as Dana White talks all that shit about Nick Diaz, he needs guys like Nick Diaz because they get people talking. You know, they get they get Twitter trending. They get social media popping. You know, I hate to say it, but nobody, no, Frankie Edgar, for as talented as he is, he's not getting social media popping. It's not him. It's, it's Conor McGregor. Of course, you know, statistically, sure, Frankie Edgar should be the guy. But monetarily, deep pocket-wise, pay-per-view revenue-wise, all Conor McGregor. Plain as day. But overall, this UFC Fight Night card was incredibly entertaining. It was solid. 
Um, I enjoyed all the fights. Again, that 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 featherweight qualifier was tremendous. I mean, even though Cub Swanson got the the holy hell beat out of him, the fight itself was incredibly enjoyable. Now, let's switch gears and jump into the MMA news of the week. Uh, $50,000 bonuses were handed out at UFC Fight Night 57. Should come as no shocker that Frankie Edgar took a performance bonus. So did um, Oleski Olenek. He took a performance bonus. And Kalen Curran and Paige Van Zant got Fight of the Night honors. So there you have it. Um, 50K went to each of these fighters. Well-deserved. All of their performances were solid. And, of course, we got a couple of fights on the horizon that definitely are going to get a lot of us buzzing. Uh, one of the big ones, of course, Chris Weidman, Vitor Belfort. And we've been watching this fight develop very, very carefully for a couple of reasons. Reason one being the whole Vitor Belfort drug test fiasco. Well, I'm pleased to report thus far that Vitor did take a drug test, a random one, and he did pass. He passed both urine and blood tests for banned substances, and so far he is clear to go for the UFC 184 fight, um, the UFC 184 showdown with Chris Weidman on February 28th. So there you have it, Vitor Vitor P. Clean. That's 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 pretty much it. He took the random test and he's clear to go. Now, a lot can happen between now and February. So we'll see what the deal is. Uh, Vitor has said in interviews that he does not need TRT to win. That is highly debatable. <laughs> I will say that highly debatable. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. Now, I want to talk a little bit about War Machine. And it's and the reason I'm bringing him up, obviously, he was in the news this week. But Slick had sent me a message and he said, hey, you know, Christy Mack is, is, is healing up quite nicely. So. War Machine entered a plea recently of not guilty with regards to the charges against him for attacking Christy Mack and Corey Thomas. Uh, He entered the plea at the Clark County District Court in Nevada. He faces 34 felony counts, including such gems as strangulation, sexual assault, kidnapping, coercion, and burglary. So, There you have it, 34 felony counts, and he walked in there and and pled not guilty. Now, a lot can be said about that. Does, you know, does he have a strong legal case? Is he going to plea some of those charges down? If so, given his previous record, what kind of a sentence can he expect? These are all questions that we definitely want answered, but I'll be honest when I tell you. 34 felony counts, it's going to be very hard for him to to assume that he's going to see the free world before he dies. I hate to say it, but the guy's already had numerous criminal charges against him. He's been in jail already a handful of times. I think this may be the one that puts him in there and he doesn't come out. Just because 34 felony counts is a lengthy fucking list. But we'll see what happens. Odds are they may want to make an example out of him, and he may be in there for quite some time. Again, if we hear more, we will definitely share it with you guys. So Fabricio Verdum is in the news this week, obviously number one being because he is your interim 
UFC heavyweight champion, but number two is because he actually acknowledged in an interview that he would be willing to have a super fight with John Jones. Now, he said, I don't know why he didn't say that before I became champion, and he said it now, but I would fight him for sure without any problem. He has to go up or make it a catchweight bout, but I definitely would do it. Uh, right now, my biggest goal is to fight Cain Velasquez to unify the belts. Uh, he said, um, you know, <laughs> Ben, I'm so upset that the phones aren't working. Ben writes, and I quote, they can have all my money for that fight. Ben, you would not be alone. I definitely would empty my wallet for that fight. There's a lot of reasons why that fight would be an incredible fight to watch. Obviously, besides seeing the two top guys in the division, you are also seeing the development of a heavyweight that has come such a long way in Fabricio Verdum, a guy that can now strike uh, very effectively, but not only that, has an incredible jiu-jitsu pedigree. He has a solid heavyweight build, and and a guy like John Jones coming in just as well-rounded, just as athletic, and, and making a, an attempt to bulk up or even do it at catch weight is definitely a sight to see. I would definitely be, I'd, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that, but I'd also like to see a super fight between John Jones and Kane Velasquez, just because that's the kind of fight where I see it just being one for the ages. Because it's, it's just amazing. Now, I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw a, uh, a curveball out there. You know, what would happen? I kid you not. What would happen if Chris Weidman went up to 205 and we got a Weidman John Jones super fight? If Weidman and John Jones had a super fight, I would probably give all my money for that fight because those are the kind of fights that everybody will talk about forever. Because you're looking at a guy like Chris Weidman who defeated Anderson Silva twice. And to, you know, make the 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 move up to 205, it's just it's just an interesting prospect for me. Ben writes Weidman is too small and he would get hurt. You know what it is? While while I understand where Ben is coming from, I do feel um I do feel Weidman at 205 would be interesting. Definitely would be. I'm also interested in this whole rumor of Ben Henderson making the jump to 170. Ben Henderson at 170 would be interesting because there are a ton of great fights at 170 that I would love to see. But again, that's a rumor thus far. He has to get past Eddie Alvarez, which that's going to be a fight that's definitely taking my money. But we will definitely keep you guys posted with regards to that. While we are on the subject of 170 pounders making their way back to the UFC, here's a name I haven't heard in ages. And I honestly thought he quietly retired, but that is not the case. That is Josh Koscheck. Josh Koscheck will be coming back to the octagon to face Neil Magny at UFC 184. This is Koscheck's first win, first fight, excuse me, since he lost to Tyron Woodley at UFC 167 in 2013. Magny is coming off a win against uh, William Macario at UFC 179 last month. So there you have it. Josh Koscheck making his way back into the UFC. 
Now, I have to ask, do you guys feel that Josh Koscheck is still a factor at 170 or has 170 evolved so much that the the 170 pound division has evolved so much that it's going to pass a guy like Koscheck by. I'm curious to see where you guys stand with that because Koscheck has been a guy that came in with um you know an incredible wrestling pedigree and became more well-rounded later in his career and has become you know he became a very entertaining fighter to watch either because you hated him or because you knew he was going to go out there. <laughs> so Ben writes, hell the fuck no, Koscheck is not a contender. Damn, dude, just no no love, no love for Josh Koscheck. I mean, Koscheck is a is a is a unique talent because he is a very hateable guy, but he is also a very, very talented athlete. But Ben definitely feels that he is not a factor at um <laughs> at 170 at this point. In any case, um there are a couple of fights that are finalized that I did want to uh, share with you guys. The first one is UFC 171, which is a go for December 6th. Obviously, the main the main draw is going to be Johnny Hendricks and Robbie Lawler. Uh, the co-main event, Anthony Showtime Pettis will be facing El Nino, Gilbert Melendez. Also on that card, Travis Brown facing Brendan Schaub. Todd Duffy making his way back to the octagon to take on Anthony Hamilton and Tony Ferguson will be facing off against Abel Trujillo. Uh, The prelims will air on Fox Sports 1 at 8 p.m. Eastern and Uriah Faber will be facing Francisco Rivera. Uh, Eddie Truck Gordon will be facing Josh Salmon. Corey Corey Anderson and Jonathan Wilson will be squaring off and Ashley Evans-Smith will be meeting Raquel Pennington. Ashley Evans-Smith is stepping in for Holly Holm who was injured on the prelims on fight pass. Uh, little Pettis, Sergio Pettis will be taking on Matt Hobar and Alex white will be taking on clay collard. So there you have it to add to what Ben said about Koscheck. He said, he's been knocked all the way the fuck out his last few fights. <laughs> Slick adds Koscheck can win. If the fight is about pissing off your opponent, <laughs> Well played, my friends. Well played. For those of you asking, and I'm sure Slick is curious, what I am drinking is a brand new monster. It is called Ultra Sunrise. It actually tastes like high energy tang, and it is my new crack. (laughs) It is quite good, but it does taste like tang. So if you are a, a tang aficionado, then I recommend you check it out for sure. But um, I figured I would share that with you guys. Yeah, I saw the punch, Slick. And the only reason I didn't even touch that can is because it said Baller Blend. The fact that that it said that it had Baller Blend in it automatically gave it a no-go. A no-go for that. Definitely not. Another fight that was announced this week is Joe Lazan facing... Uh, New York's own Al Iaquinta, that was added to UFC 183. That's going to be going down January 31st. Again, um, an amazing card. Nate Diaz, Anderson Silva is your main event. Kelvin Gastelum will be facing off against Tyron Woodley. Diago Alves versus Jordan Mean. Uh, Sarah McMahon and Misha Tate. Uh, Joe Lazan, Al Iaquinta, Tim Bosch, and Talis Latis. Rafael Sapo Natal will be taking on Tom Watson. 
Uh, John Lineker will be facing Ian McCall and Diego Brandao and Jimmy Hetz will be squaring off as well. Again, January 31st at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. Now the last bit of MMA news to wrap things up and Ben is going to be hype when he hears this. Uh, the UFC has announced the return of Norifumi Kid Yamamoto at UFC 184. He will be facing Roman Salazar. Now, for those of you that are fans of Kid Yamamoto or, or, or know who he is, the last time Kid Yamamoto fought was at UFC 144 in February 2012. He lost that fight to Vaughn Lee via submission. His current Octagon record is 0-3. Now, Roman Salazar made his Octagon debut at UFC Fight Night 54, where he lost to Mitch Gagnon via submission in the first round. UFC 184 is scheduled for February 28th at the Staples Center in Los Angeles, California. Obviously, the main event will be on pay-per-view. I'm actually very excited to see Kid Yamamoto back in the UFC. Hopefully, he can... uh, reverse the the last run that he had going 0-3 in the organization. Like I said, I like Kid Yamamoto. He is an exciting guy to watch. And hopefully, um, you know, he's getting ready to get himself back on track. But overall, it's been a, a solid week of MMA. Uh, the Ultimate Fighter, I like I said, I haven't been able to talk about it because of show prep. But the last couple of fights have been amazing. Uh, the drama between the ladies obviously is great fuel for the sport, but the fights themselves have definitely delivered. Um, I'm curious who is um, going to walk away with it because there's so many talented fighters there. Uh, Ticia Torres, Carla Esparza, uh, Randa Marcos, who actually defeated Felice Herrig last week. And of course, um, you know, Rose Namajunas, who is probably my favorite to win the entire thing uh considering that she has incredible striking uh really really unique offense and is just a just an amazing fighter to watch if you haven't checked the ultimate fighter out do yourselves a favor and give it a go because it definitely is pretty badass this season definitely a lot of shit a lot of drama a lot of trash talking but it doesn't take away from the season the coaches are Rather, they're rather cordial with each other, but the fights themselves have definitely delivered. So I recommend you give it a shot. Um, We'll see what the deal is with that. But um, in any case, that is going to wrap up this week's MMA news. Let's switch gears and jump into some wrestling because there's a fuckload of stuff to talk about. So Booker T, if you need to do the honors. We want the gold, sucker. Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga. All right, so my goal was to, for WWE Survivor Series and for the rest of the evening, to use the hashtag, what the fuck is on Kane's back? WTF, Kane's back, and feel free to add what it is. And the reason I say this is because if you saw Survivor Series and you watched that main event between the Authority and Team Cena, for some reason, Kane looked like Quato from total recall was growing out of his back which lead to which led to 
multiple conversations across multiple social media outlets with multiple with multiple people asking what the fuck was on Kane's back. So if you want to participate in the conversation or want to have a few laughs, definitely use the hashtag WTF Kane's back and then feel free to add whatever you choose. I personally think that he absorbed the Undertaker's urn and he carries it inside what appears to be a large mass on his back, but that's a story for later on in the segment. In any event, let us talk about Survivor Series 2014, which pretty much felt like an extended edition of Raw every week that it got built up. Now, when we started the pay-per-view, you saw, in essence, five matches were on tap for what would account to two or three hours tops of in-ring action. Of course, angles definitely took shape throughout the evening, but overall, the main cards that were, the main wrestling matches that were set up totaled a whopping five. Now, there were a couple of things that came out of this pay-per-view that definitely redeemed it. Um, It definitely was not the new and improved Fandango uh, looking like Don Flamenco from Punch-Out!, with Rosa Mendez taking on Justin Gabriel. The only good thing that came out of this match was the very, very smooth and very well-executed leg drop that Fandango used to defeat Justin Gabriel. Now, a um, couple of things. Justin, seeing Justin Gabriel on TV is great. I feel that he is a very serviceable and marketable guy. I do feel that he would be better suited in the mid-card, given that he has an, an, a pretty impressive finisher but also has a pretty solid fan base. Plus, the ladies the ladies like the guy. So he definitely should have a better place on the mid-card and not just be relegated to NXT. But nonetheless, uh, he was a uh, great uh, opponent to bring Fandango back into the fold, even though he truly is dressed like Don Flamenco from Punch-Out. But that is a story for another day. Now... Another pre-show match they set up is a match that we've seen a thousand times before. And even though it's a match we've seen, it's still a match that entertains. And that is Antonio Cesaro facing off against Jack Swagger. Now, I don't have an issue with this match. What I do have an issue with is the continued misuse of guys like Cesaro and Jack Swagger. Again, serviceable guys. In Swagger's case, you know, you have Zeb Coulter out there who's about as good as a sub, uh, of a substitute to Paul Heyman as we can have. And Cesaro always is a, is a solid hand, whether you know he's jobbing to guys like the Bunny or having matches with guys like Titus O'Neil. Cesaro definitely brings his A game, and he knows how to carry people to great matches. Overall, their match is as enjoyable as, this can, as can be expected, considering that this is a match we've seen a dozen times before. Now, the Survivor Series pay-per-view itself opened up with Vince McMahon coming out there, uh, pretty much uh, driving home the point that, you know, the authorities' jobs are on the line. Vince McMahon doing, do, adding a little bit of fuel to the fire for that match, plus a little bit more of a fleshing out of the stipulation. I do feel that Vince McMahon's presence on television has been severely missed. I think Vince brings a great dynamic to TV, and he doesn't, he's not as annoying 
as Triple H. He's not as annoying as Stephanie McMahon or as condescending as Triple H. He knows how to mix the right blend of humor, sarcasm, and just being an overall tough son of a bitch. And the thing that happens is that the... The reason that Vince is so effective is because it's something that's built up over the years. It takes time. It takes practice. And even still, as I said a few weeks back, Triple H it can never be what Vince McMahon is. There is only going to be one Vince. And when that Vince is gone, that's it. Stephanie McMahon, she tries to be her dad, but you can't. Because I And I said this last week and the week prior... The minute you try to be like Vince, it looks like you are just imitating your, you know, Vince McMahon. You're never your own individual at that point. You know? Slick says no chance. That's what they got. <laughs> well played. Well played, Slick. But no, in, in, all, in all seriousness, the reason that Vince McMahon is such an effective heel, face, tweener, authority figure is because his chemistry with every superstar, is just completely unique. His exchange with a guy like R-Truth is going to be infinitely different than his exchange with a guy like John Cena. Meanwhile, a guy like Triple H, he hides behind being condescending. And I've said this before, Triple H, even as a suit, is always going to try to get over the talent. And that's just part partially because I don't think he's mastered being an authority figure on camera yet versus being a performer. That's where I stand with it. I feel that Triple H is still kind of stuck in wrestler mode. And he hasn't flipped the switch to evil authority figure. It just feels like the character he's portrayed on TV the last couple of months is just the same Triple H, but with a suit on. That's that's kind of where I stand. So... Let's open let's open up with this fatal four-way tag match between the Dust Bros, the Usos, Los Matadores and the Bull and Miz and Mizdow. Now, the match itself was incredibly entertaining. There was a lot of great spots there, and any team that won that match excluding the Matadors would have definitely been fine in my book. But they did the right thing putting the belts on Miz and Mizdow because Miz and Mizdow definitely have a lot they can offer both as a tag team and as individuals. Because as Mizdow continues to improve and shine, it's going to create tension with the Miz, which of course is going to lead to a very easy exchange and a very easy feud to cultivate and grow over time. You know, that's... That I, I understand the logic. I understand the logistics of it. it you know, it, it makes perfect sense from the standpoint that when you look at it from a long-term booking perspective, there's a bona fide feud there which can benefit both performers. Obviously, Sandow getting a, a singles push out of the deal and The Miz getting a new opponent. Now, Jay writes in the chat, Hunter is, t- is making the talent work harder on the mic. You know what it is? While I understand what Jay is saying, I do have to disagree a little bit. And the reason I say this is because when you're exchanging promos with a guy like John Cena and the bulk of your promo is you condescending, uh, being condescending or being, uh, you know, just being jokey and, and trying to clown these guys, 
you're not making them work harder at that point. It's just you stroking your ego. If you want to show if you want to show me a performer that's working harder on the mic, show me exchanges between guys like Bray Wyatt and John Cena or Bray Wyatt and Dean Ambrose or Mick Foley and Seth Rollins. Those are the situations where you're 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 making these people work harder to be better. But the bulk of the time like I said it's Triple H trying to clown people for the sake of getting over. You know when when you take a guy like Dean Ambrose and you put him in there with Triple H and Triple H is laughing at him being crazy, then what you do is you suck the heat out of that gimmick. That's how it goes. There has to be some belief in the personas and the characters. You want to believe that a guy like Ryback is a massive 300-pound wrecking ball of destruction. You want to believe that. Sure, he's a douchebag, but he's the big guy. And as long as he's the big guy, that's what you want to believe, that the big guy will fuck people up. That's how it works. But if the big guy is going to come out there and cut a promo with Triple H, and Triple H is going to laugh at him and say, hey, who designed your singlet, or something to that effect, it's it's not gonna make it it's not gonna make it better for the character. Uh, you know one one gimmick that concerns me is the new day because when you know uh, Kofi Kingston, Big E, and um, uh, Xavier Woods, when those guys come out, if they don't come out and make an impact right away, they're gonna be guys that are gonna be made fun of by Triple H. They're like, oh, look at you guys. What do you think? You guys are, you guys think that you're, you know, the five heartbeats with Biggie Langston being three of the heartbeats and Xavier Woods and Kofi being the other two? I'm serious. You know? But that's the kind of shit I'm talking about. You know, those guys are coming out there. It's, um, Val writes that the new day is the Pope split into three people. That's a good way to look at it. You know what? I would actually, I would have liked to have seen the Pope be in that group because I always felt that the Pope D'Angelo De Niro, who was in TNA last, was an incredibly talented performer, both on the mic and in the ring, and he never got a fair shake in the WWE. But that's besides the point. But again, you know, right now the new day just doesn't give me hope. I'll be honest. I don't feel that it's the dawning of a new day. I just feel it's 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 more it's more racial overcoats. It's more tomfoolery. It's like you're going to go out there and you're going to have the the soul brother gimmick. What year is this? Absolutely not. Anyway, so we got a Divas Elimination Survivor Series match uh, with Alicia Fox, Natalia, Naomi, and Emma squaring off against Paige, Cameron, Summer Rae, and Layla. And, uh... Oh my and god! That... Oh, that's better. Yeah, that that that's about all I needed to sum up that match. That match was a festering pile of yeah. <laughs> that's what it was. It was it was it was shit. They should have just had Bad News Barrett say, I'm afraid I've got some bad news. The Divas are going to have a match next. What a colostomy bag of shit. It was like, 
here are your wrestlers, your real wrestlers. Natalia, Naomi, and Paige, and maybe Emma to a degree. The match itself, a disaster. Spots being botched, moments being blown. It was it was it was absurd. And the match did more harm than good. I honestly felt that that match killed the crowd. Killed it. And then the fact that you're using that match to try and get over Tyson Kidd in the same breath is insanity. It was a disaster. Again, because of the botches, the blown spots, and just the overall progression of the match, it was, it was, it was terrible. It was bona fide terrible. But again, this is what's this is what happens when shit gets thrown together on a couple of days' notice. Hate to say it, but it's true. All right, so let's get into Dean Ambrose and Bray Wyatt's match, which was, for all intents and purposes, a violent affair. But the beauty of the match was that the crowd was so into it that we I honestly didn't want the match to end because I didn't want either guy to lose. And what ended up happening as a result of that match is that you ended up setting the stage for TLC because Ambrose uh, proceeded to get himself DQ'd by whacking Bray Wyatt with a chair. Now, again, the way that this works was really well executed because you're taking two guys that thrive in 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 a hardcore, destructive environment and you are turning them loose. I, I had a feeling that their match was going to end in some sort of shenanigans just because it's it's a no-brainer to book them for TLC where these guys can orchestrate a symphony of violence in an environment that works for a guy like Dean Ambrose. Dean Ambrose has no issue cracking somebody with a chair or using a kendo stick or doing a high spot off a ladder. And rest assured, come TLC... Both him and Bray Wyatt are going to give us a match that I'm sure we will never, ever, ever forget. I'm telling you. All right, so Titus Rose and he, uh, Titus Rose, <laughs> Titus O'Neil and Heath Slater squared off against Adam Rose and the Bunny, and uh, yeah, that match. That match was pretty much... Well, I'm afraid I've got some bad news. That's what that was. That match pretty much was summed up that way for a couple of reasons. I'm tired of Adam Rose. I'm tired of him and the fucking bunny. I'm tired of Titus O'Neil being misused or Heath Slater being misused because both guys are pretty serviceable guys in the mid-card and they are relegated to putting over pretty much... You know, a guy that's the equivalent of Russell Brand and a stuffed animal. That's it. It is stupid to me. Now, Val writes that Heath Slater is garbage, but you know what? While while I can understand where Val is coming from and it's very easy to see, I always view a guy like Heath Slater as a necessary evil. And the reason I say this is because you do need your comedic heel. You need the one guy that's going to come out there and say something stupid and get his ass kicked. It's a necessary evil. Guys like Santino, unfortunately, fall into that. You know, guys like, as much as we hate him, Bo Dallas falls into that. 
to to give a, to give kudos to Slick. Slick said you got to have your Barry Horowitz. You got to have it. You got to have your Santino. You got to have your Heath Slater. But the problem is that you need to break out of the mold where these guys got to lose all the time. Because what happens is you kill your audience with that. If a guy like Heath Slater won a match here and there, it would actually make for a little bit more it would make people more invested when they're on screen because you don't automatically assume they're getting destroyed. Case in point, Zack Ryder. You see Zack Ryder on TV and you know for a fact that he is getting decimated. He is getting destroyed. He is getting his ass kicked. Very rarely do we see a match with Zack Ryder and go, ah, he's got this one. He might actually win this one. Instead, it you you just you've become so accustomed and so acclimated to these guys getting murdered on your screen that you just don't care. I see the upside. I understand there there we need guys like that. You know, we need jobbers, we need lower card guys, we need guys that are comfortable just being on TV to lose. But you know what? They don't need to be on TV to lose we every every week that they're out there. Maybe they lose two weeks, maybe they win one week and they win another week, or maybe they lose for a month straight and then win for a month straight, but at least you're giving people, um, you know, something that makes them think that they that they won't say, hey, I could run to the bathroom because this guy's going to lose. You want to set a precedent where people are able to watch these matches and you don't have to anticipate what's going to happen and, and you don't have to know what's going to happen, you just want to be invested because you're not sure what's going to happen. Really, that's it. You want that sort of an investment that keeps people that keeps people tuned in. Like it's like, oh, Zack Ryder's coming out. You know what? Let me flip over to to the Monday night game because I know Zack Ryder's going to lose. Versus, you know what? He's been he's been on a roll lately. He might he might beat this guy. Let me let me tune in for a few more minutes before I flip over to the Monday night game. That's what you need. You need the individuals. You need to cr- to cultivate uh, stories where people are invested on a consistent basis. If you know that Santino's going to lose every fucking match, you're not going to bother watching it because you know you could flip over and watch, you know, watch the game or whatever and flip back. And he's probably just getting pinned as you flip back because that's how it goes. It's a tragedy and it's unfortunate but it can be rectified. There is a place for lower carders, uh, lower card guys, and quote-unquote jobbers. There's a place for these guys, but you don't have to have them lose all the time. A broken clock is right twice a day. You know, just because the guy is considered a jobber doesn't mean that he can't win a match once in a while. These are the facts. There's no necessity why some of these guys can't win matches on occasion. It keeps things competitive. It makes people think, oh, shit, this guy may not lose. He's been doing well. And then when he loses, you could just be disheartened. Ah, he lost. But the minute that this guy walks out or this diva walks out and you know they're going to get killed, you lose that connection that you want people to have with your product. You lose it. It's gone like this. Because why am I going to watch at that point? What's the, what's the reason? Doesn't make any sense. So, 
Val writes, backstage doesn't want to look for the weekly jobber. I miss the days where everyone on the roster has a chance of winning. Exactly. That's what we need. Everybody should have a chance. Not necessarily every week, but hey, the surprise roll-up. Or maybe the fluke pin. Or something. But at least it's something. And maybe you do the rematch next week and the guy gets his win back. But there has to be more to it. It can't just be guys getting jobbed out left and right because you want to get over the guys that are better than them. That's not going to help because at the end of the day, you're going to have the guys that are scratching the glass ceiling that will never ascend because the crowd doesn't believe in them. You know, do you think anybody's going to believe in Zack Ryder after they've damaged him so much? Do you think anybody's going to believe in a guy like Titus O'Neil right now at this point? unless they invest a lot of work into him? Absolutely not. Do you think people are going to believe in Tyson Kidd being a credible mid-carder if he loses some of the most routine matches ever? That, unfortunately, is the case. That is how it is. It's terrible, but it is, unfortunately, the truth. All right, so let's talk about the WWE Divas title match with AJ and Nikki Bella because um, pretty much it ended as abruptly as you would have expected, which is um, Brie Bella uh, lip-locking with AJ, leading to a distraction with Nikki Bella getting the pinfall. Now, there's a couple of things. At first glance, oh, Brie Bella turned and helped Nikki Bella win. On the flip side, it is probably Brie Bella cultivating the setup to challenge Nikki Bella for the Divas title, and Brie Bella can win the belt. Because regardless of what you think about Total Divas and whether they are or they aren't uh, allowed to win the titles, you know that there's more marketability for the belt by putting it on the fucking Bellas. As much as I dislike it and as much as I hate it, they know that it's, it's a necessary evil to put the belt on them. What bothers me is that I don't know how both both women have regressed in terms of wrestling prowess because at least Brie Bella used to have some serviceable matches, but lately her matches have been shit. And Nikki Bella, you know, it doesn't matter how much how, you know how big your your breast implants are or how small your shirts and jackets are, but your wrestling is shit. You would think that at this stage in the game you would have improved to to a degree. Because I'm sorry, Trish Stratus started started as a valet, and before her career ended, she was one of the premier women's wrestlers in the organization. When you look at when you look at Lita, Lita started as a valet for SA Rios. Then she joined Team Extreme, and then before you know it, Lita went from being a valet to being one of the most exciting performers to watch. You know? And that's what happens. Meanwhile, uh, wrestlers like Nikki Bella and Brie Bella, they are, they're so pigeonholed in being these reality TV stars that the WWE doesn't think that they, that they have the, the tools to improve. And I honestly think that with the right trainers, they can be good, if not great competitors. But that's the problem. The Divas division doesn't get the respect it deserves, and because they don't respect the division, they're not going to respect the athletes that are part of it either. I hate to admit it, but that's how it looks. There's no respect for the division, so why is there going to be respect 
for the athletes that are part of that division. Now, Slick writes, Bree is still better than Nikki. I agree. Val writes, I thought Bree was getting tips from Daniel Bryan. There definitely was um, a lot of Daniel Bryan influence, and you can see it in Bree's wrestling. But you know what it is? You can only take that but so far. Slick writes, the Bellas have the right physique to be high flyers. I agree. And you know what's crazy? That a chick like Naomi, who's a bigger girl, and when I mean bigger, I mean she's a taller woman, um, she's, she's more, she's more physically endowed and she moves like a cruiserweight. She moves very fast, very fluid and very clean. You know, if you watch Naomi wrestle, it it is, it is ridiculous. The amount of talent that is housed in that one competitor, which, which I always say, it's like if Naomi just gets a little bit more polish, she can be your next Trish Stratus. She can. Because she's agile, athletic, knows how to tell a good story in the ring. Her mic work is pretty decent. If you just invest a little more energy into her character, you can create your, you know, the flag bearer for your organization. I'm serious. Watch Naomi wrestle. Even in that shitty-ass Divas tag match, her, her wrestling was on point. She was solid. Watching her wrestle, I said to myself, I'm like, yo, how is she a chick that wasn't developmental, but she gets it? She's like a sponge. You watch her wrestle and you're like, holy shit. Is this the same chick that was doing ass hydraulics with the other dummy? Really? Same chick. Yep. Yes, she is. Same chick. It's crazy. Even Alicia Fox. Alicia Fox started as the wedding planner for, for Edge and Vicky Guerrero's wedding. And gradually she improved and improved and improved. And don't get me wrong, Alicia Fox isn't setting the world on fire, but she's a solid wrestler. You know? She 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 definitely is a decent wrestler. And that's how it goes. The organization doesn't... They, they don't respect their division enough to create legitimate stars, talented wrestlers. What they figure is it's eye candy that has some talent. The, be- the the living, breathing example of that is Kelly Kelly. You look at Kelly Kelly, she's marketable, she's beautiful, but her wrestling, dog shit. On the flip side, you look at Maurice, she, she was marketable, she was beautiful, but she understood the nuances of being a villain. She understood the psychology. Was her wrestling great? No. But it was good. It was good enough. And that's the problem when you look at, at, at talent like, you know, Nikki Bella. Or you look at talent like, um, you know, Cameron. You know, you look at talent like that and you know that there's there's room for them to be better. But they're just not pushing them because they, they don't care. It's simple as that. They would They would not care. Well, they don't care. That's that's pretty much it. But as I said, Nikki Bella is your new Divas champion. Now, let's talk about this Survivor Series match, which as soon as that bell rang and Mark Henry got knocked out by the Big Show, all I said was, holy shit, they jobbed out the Big Show like a bitch. Second to that to Ryback being eliminated, because I thought that Ryback would probably be would probably be one of the guys that would survive. Now I'll be honest. When I will, when I say that the Big Show's heel turn 
caught me out of left field. I did not see that shit coming. On the contrary, I actually thought that Harper and Rowan were going to say, were going to get back together and were going to help the authority. That's what I thought. I did not, for the life of me, think that the big show would flip. Not only that, but that the big show would flip and John Cena would get pinned. It was insanity. When I was watching it here with my wife, and one of my close friends, we were watching it, and it was like, holy shit, the Big Show turned? And then it was, holy shit, John Cena got pinned? And that's exactly what happened. What I, what, what, The beauty of it was the fact that Dolph Ziggler, if this guy doesn't get a serious push after his performance, then creative and WWE management are fucking idiots. Dolph Ziggler must have wrestled for at least 25 minutes. At least. The match was probably about 45 minutes long. And I definitely feel that Dolph Ziggler was probably in there at least 25 minutes. In an amazing show of not only grit and heart. But talent. Dolph Ziggler is is definitely the real deal. And this match really, really solidified his place in the roster and his position as a guy that the company can take seriously. Tremendous. Plus his exchanges with Rollins were were really really well done. There was a lot of there was a lot of great storytelling at play and of course the big story, the ultimate story, the debut of Sting. Now, this this was something that bothered me and I've talked about this before. If a guy's going to show up don't play his entrance music because it eliminates any sort of any sort of uh, you know of a surprise moment. Because as soon as you saw that entrance video and you heard the crow, or you saw the black and white or the scorpion, you knew what it was. I would have liked to have seen the old WCW style where the lights went out, and when they come back on, Sting is pointing a bat at Triple H, drops Triple H with the with the scorpion death drop and then proceeded to put Dolph Ziggler on top. I think it just would have been a better way to tell that story, and it would have been far more surprising than playing the music and doing all that and having him and Triple H, you know, stare at each other for 15 minutes. While I understand the the necessity for that, I do feel that the surprise would have been better done would have been would have worked better if you would have done it like I'm saying. You know, the lights go out then they turn back on, "Oh my god, it's Sting!" and everybody goes crazy. That's the kind of shit you need. I do feel that the uh, the Stephanie McMahon post-match breakdown was amusing. Um, I do feel that Sting's hairline is way too far back, you know? And and it was just like his makeup, it, it almost felt like his makeup went all the way into his hairline. And it was, you know, it was, it was funny. But I definitely would have liked that the lights would have gone out old school. And when the lights went back on, oh my God, it's Sting! I think that would have worked just from from a surprise standpoint, and the crowd would have lost their minds. Then after he did that, you'd play his music, and he walks out. I just think it would have been it would have been a, a better way to do it. But overall, I will admit that Survivor Series was surprisingly enjoyable. There were there were a lot of high points. There were a lot of decent moments, like I said. But for every high point that there was, there definitely were some low points. Like I said. Uh, Nikki Bella becoming Divas champion. Obviously, the Brie Bella swerve was was good, 
but I would have liked to have seen at least a three-minute match before that happened. You know, I would have also liked to have seen um, a little bit more of, you know, a little bit more polish and wrestling in the Divas elimination match. Slick writes, that shitty exchange between Sting and Triple H proves the authority is coming back. I definitely feel that the authority will be back, and you can tell because when they kept reinforcing the stipulation of, oh, the only people that can bring the authority back is John Cena, it, it kind of makes you think that John Cena is going to have to make the difficult choice of bringing them back because there's going to be someone who's going to be more dangerous as the GM than the authority ever was. So it's definitely something to consider, and the problem is that the, that the amount of foreshadowing that was done was incredibly obvious. It was incredibly obvious. It really was. I watched it, and I said to myself, I'm like, well, damn, you know, they could have they done X, Y, and Z differently. But, you know, we can always say that whenever we do this show, but what can you do? Val asks, isn't AJ retiring like her hubby, though? As far as I as far as I know, AJ is here to stay uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, you never know when that may happen, but I'm sure there have been rumblings that she does want to start a family. If that is the case, I'd probably give AJ a, another year or two before she steps away from the business, unless of course CM Punk comes back and tosses the business on its head. But again, we shall see what happens. Uh, Mortis writes, Concessions Kane should have sold ice cream bars. Not sure if I saw that on your Facebook, Rich, or someone else's. I, I definitely want to talk about Concessions Kane when we get into Raw. Um, again, hashtag Kane's back or what the fuck is on Kane's back. Uh, definitely the hashtag you want to use. Um, that that lump uh, is slick. If you could do me a favor, see if you can pull up a picture from WWE.com of Kane in that match. So people can see this giant hematoma that was growing out of his back. I honestly thought it was it was Paul either Paul Bearer's ashes or the urn, or maybe that's where all his talent went. But it it definitely was very distracting when you were watching the pay per view. So if you could find a photo of that, I would surely appreciate it. Anyway, that wraps up the uh, Survivor Series recap. Let's jump into Raw, which um, of course opened with. Uh, the authority bitching and complaining and then led to the GM for the night, the one and only Daniel Bryan, Daniel Bryan coming back really validated why he is one of the best guys in the business, because even though he hasn't been on television in months in a real capacity, the crowd was amazing. The crowd went insane when he came out that entire building erupted and it was a beautiful segment him jumping in front of stephanie mcmahon and yelling yes him jumping in front of triple h and yelling yes the matches that he set up throughout the night were really good and then of course the the creation of concessions kane now if there's one thing i've learned with kane is that if you put kane in a in a in an awkward situation you get really good material Concessions Kane was definitely it, and his moment to shine. He had two great moments on Raw, which I'll get into. But um, one guy that that opened up Raw in the first match, in the first match of the night, and really got the ball rolling was Ryback, 
who um, defeated Mark Henry with a meat hook clothesline. I'm not sure how I felt about that because Mark Henry is considered to be the world's strongest man. And the fact that he was defeated with a clothesline just really dropped him down a couple of pegs in my book. Obviously, you want him to be shell-shocked, but you know maybe for, for safety reasons or maybe something else, they didn't want to do that. But jobbing out Mark Henry to a clothesline, definitely not the move. Now, right after that, we were treated to a backstage segment with Vince and the authority. And again, Vince steals the show and pretty much is like, I can't believe I got to sit at Thanksgiving dinner with you fucking losers. And it really was great. Um, the only thing that probably could have made that sequence better is if Vince would have got in the limo with the authority and the limo would have blown up. But, um, again, that's, that's just my, that's just my booking at work. Anyway, Dean Ambrose squared off against Luke Harper in an IC title match. And it, it really, it really made you say to yourself, the Bray Wyatt running is imminent and sure as shit. It definitely was with uh, Bray Wyatt getting the upper hand and proceeding to beat Dean Ambrose's ass and leave him buried amongst chairs, announce announce table pieces, and a load of other things. Obviously, this is going to be what we're going to be, this is something we're going to be seeing every week leading up to this pay-per-view. It's going to be somebody getting hit with a ladder, somebody getting hit with a chair, countless match interferences, it's something that is going to happen, and we should just accept it because that's the way it is. So we got a New Day promo finally with all three guys, Kofi Kingston, Big E, and Xavier Woods, and then we got Larry the Cable Guy. Yeah, that was terrible, and I'm not even going to acknowledge it, so let's move on. The Miz and Damian Mizdow squared off against Goldust and Stardust, in a, in a really, really fun match, um, especially because Damian Sandow carried that match as only he can. And the beauty of it was the storytelling that was told with The Miz hiding out and then jumping back in to steal the pinfall. And um, it, was, it was definitely uh, a really, really good match with two very, very good teams. Um, I, Mortis, you mentioned Santino. You know what the funny thing is? Santino was supposed to have retired due to a neck injury, but he actually tried some sort of surgery, which allows him to actually actively compete again. So I don't know if we're gonna be seeing we're gonna be seeing him as an in-ring performer any further, but all signs point to him coming back and trying to wrestle. So we'll see what the deal is with that. Slick, uh that picture you shared is actually is actually the one. Definitely use that one. That's a great photo. But um yeah, so Santino Santino's Santino got surgery and tried to correct his neck issues so that he could come back and carry Larry the Cable Guy. <laughs> That's what happened. Santino got got stuff done so that he can carry Larry the Cable Guy in every one of these segments. But it's um Let's talk about let's talk about Concessions Kane. Uh, Concessions Kane, the first segment with him had him being yelled at by the concessions manager about how and how he was supposed to conduct himself, and on top of that, what he was supposed to sell. Now, this segment was incredibly amusing because here you have this lumbering seven foot tall oaf, and this little chick is just sunning him. She's just clowning him. Like, listen, 
you're going to do this and you're going to do this right and blah, 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 blah. And you just see Kane just looking at her with the look on his face like, yo, I can pop your head like a zit. And it was it was just such a great exchange. You know, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I see that Slick shared um, the uh, the picture of Kane's back and the hashtag is there. <laughs> It was it was definitely a great moment. Mortis uh, captured the line. I heard you like setting things on fire, so we're keeping you away from the fryer. It, it was it was tremendous. It was a good exchange, and I commend the actress for keeping a straight face. Because seriously, how could you not want to laugh when you see this little chick and big ass Kane, and she's like, "You're gonna sell these chips, and you're gonna sell these hot dogs," and Kane's just looking at her like, "You motherfucker, I'm gonna kill you." It was it was it was a really good segment and and Kane in certain elements his 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 scary monster gimmick works incredibly well. All right, so uh Daniel Bryan had Rusev come out to uh quote unquote say the pledge of allegiance and of course that leads to the obligatory Sergeant Slaughter appearance which was actually quite amusing because Sergeant Slaughter is just screaming at Lana and Lana's like, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States. And he's just like, louder, just just giving her the business. And then, of course, Rusev wiles out, and he's about to knock the chin off of Sergeant Slaughter, which, of course, leads to Jack Swagger with the save, which I'm sure is going to lead to the inevitable Swagger-Rusev feud for the U.S. title. But that's something that we're not going to see for the foreseeable future, but it still was amusing nonetheless. Now, just because we didn't see Fandango and Justin Gabriel on Sunday night doesn't mean we're not going to get it on Monday. And sure as shit, we did indeed. Probably because they wanted to get the Fandango gimmick on the big stage on Monday Night Raw. And um, like I said, Don Flamenco comes out with Rosa. Rosa does her her shtick. It was pretty good. I think the uh, the choreography was was really top-notch, especially when he flipped Rosa up. I'm like, yo, he's going to drop this chick on her fucking dome, but he didn't. Um, the uh, the very the very high elevated leg drop that he delivered was very impressive, but again, if you don't if you don't do more with his character, he's going to be relegated to the dancing guy gimmick once again. All right. So the big show came back, uh, came out, excuse me. He came out to, uh, pretty much cut his why big show, why promo. And what started off as a rather apologetic excuse making promo really evolved into some of the big shows, best mic work. I, I really liked it. I felt that the big show, uh, did a good job. And not only that, but he also succeeded in, in putting over Eric Rowan, which of course is going to create a nice little feud probably for TLC. Um, I think it worked out well. I think it did a good job of of putting Eric Rowan over because we didn't really understand his motivations for joining Team Cena. But nonetheless, I do feel that the Big Show's promo was incredibly strong and it did help Rowan gain a measure of of just uh, likability with the fans. That's for sure. So... The next match that was on deck was AJ Lee and Brie Bella. Now, a couple of things happened in this match. There were a lot of little nuances that snuck under the radar 
that when I caught them, I was like, holy shit. So when Nikki Bella came out, you may or may not have noticed that they shared a tweet from Kris Jenner congratulating uh, Nikki Bella on her victory. Now, the funny thing was that if you listen to that introduction, JBL says, and I quote, hey, I guess Bruce, I guess um, Chris Jenner is trying to set up a title match for, for, for Bruce Jenner. And the reason that that was funny is because there's always been a joke and a rumor in Hollywood that Chris Jenner, I mean, that Bruce Jenner is gay or that he's trying to become a transsexual anything. But overall, that's the joke. And they legitimate and JBL legitimately said that on air and nobody caught it. Nobody. But if you watch it, he said, oh, I guess they're trying to set something up with Bruce Jenner. And I was like, oh, shit. Because it really was super on the DL, but super inappropriate. I was like, oh, that's... And the reason I say that is because if a guy like that hears it, you know, that's considered slander. It's consider- I was like, oh, shit, you know, because that's really inside, but really going for the jugular. You, ba- you in essence, said, like, yo, you're going to... Bruce Jenner's going to challenge for the Divas title. I was like, Wow. It was insane. In addition, was um, AJ coming out and using the old uh, lesbianist uh, phrase, which, again, considering that you're trying to, you know, build a relationship with the with the gay and transgender community and you're doing the anti-bullying campaign and, um, you know, you're talking about lesbianist, again, while it was apropos for the for the angle and you know apropos for the match you have to be careful with stuff like that because you're not in the attitude era and as such you've cultivated all these relationships with all these special interest groups that you may piss them off you gotta be careful again it was it was good it was good timing by aj but it was very very on the line also the uh, at the end of the match when AJ cut a promo, she said um, that it takes two Bella Twins to be champion, but two of them don't even come close to being half the woman she is. And if they want to cheat or kiss their way to the title, then it's about time somebody breaks it to them that talent is not sexually transmitted. Again, a quasi pipe bomb promo that was well done. Because in essence, AJ pretty much said that just because you're fucking John Cena and just because the other one is fucking Daniel Bryan, that they're not going to be better wrestlers because of it. It definitely was, um, it was, it was, again, a very, very edgy, edgy exchange across the board. That entire sequence for that match and the buildup was incredibly on the line. Like I said, let's be honest. Um, you know, her post-match promo and the dig at Bruce Jenner, all very, very, very on the line. That's it. You know, it's, it, it was, it was tremendous. It was definitely tremendous, but again, um, not what I expected. All right. So again, we've had some decent matches, some decent angles, and then everything comes to a screeching halt as Adam Rose and the bunny take on Tyson Kidd and Natalia. And again, just, just, Christ. 
I'm tired of it. I'm tired of Adam Rose and his guy liner and the fucking rabbit. I just don't care. I don't give a shit. I don't. Terrible. It was complete and utter shit. Anyway. So the match for the evening was John Cena and Dolph Ziggler facing Seth Rollins and a tag team selected by the WWE Universe. So as it turns out, the WWE Universe voted for Seth Rollins and J&J Security being Jamie Noble and Joey Mercury to square off against John Cena and Dolph Ziggler. It was a pretty solid match. Obviously, some good storytelling was there. Uh, simultaneous finishers led to the victory by the faces. Now, it was the end of the match and how it ended that definitely was worth... Um, you know, it definitely was something that was worth addressing. And that is because to close out Raw, we were treated to the wonderful email noise of the anonymous Raw general manager. Obviously, um, the anonymous Raw general manager's return can lead to either really good stories or really shit television. But I do applaud WWE for using it and in, in an opportunistic way, because obviously on Monday it is Cyber Monday. So having the anonymous GM, Cyber GM, return on Cyber Monday was apropos and was the right thing to do. But this is a one-time solution. You are the anonymous GM this week. If you're going to do that shit all the way to TLC... People are going to get annoyed. Different GMs every week is great. You know, Daniel Bryan this week, the anonymous GM next week, maybe Paul Heyman the week after that, maybe Mike Adamley, maybe Mick Foley, maybe Ric Flair, etc., etc., etc. You can do that, and that's fine. But using just the anonymous GM... I, as soon as I heard that fucking tone, I was like, fuck me. But then when he said, you know, Monday is Cyber Monday, I was like, you know what? It fucking works. These motherfuckers figured it out. So we'll see what happens in terms of the anonymous Raw GM. But it was, it definitely was a better Raw to close out a pretty solid Survivor Series, uh, post-Survivor Series edition of Raw. So Let's get into the other wrestling stories of the week. And um, there's a couple of gems in there I want to talk about. So first up, with the release of the Randy Macho Man Savage DVD and Blu-ray box set, which is incredibly well done, a lot of signs are pointing to Macho Man going into the Hall of Fame in 2015, along with the recently signed WCW icon Sting. I will say this. I believe that the release of the Macho Man box set definitely makes a strong case. But besides that, I just feel that it's time. You know, it's time. Warriors in there. Hogan is in there. Macho Man has to be in there. That's it. When we talk about wrestling in the 80s and in the 90s, the names that come to mind from, from my generation are guys like Hogan. Savage, you know, Jake the Snake Roberts, The Ultimate Warrior, Sid Vicious, Ric Flair, Kamala, uh, Tugboat, Earthquake and Typhoon, uh, who, you know, Tugboat, who later became 
uh, Typhoon alongside Earthquake, uh, the Big Boss Man, Nails, the fabulous Rougeau Brothers, um, the British Bulldogs, the Heart Foundation, Demolition. You know, these are these are all iconic names, and some of them are in the Hall of Fame and some of them aren't. But again, you can't mention that era and not think of Randy Macho Man Savage. You can't. You can't do it. It is impossible. You know, guys, and then there's guys that not too many people talk about, but there are guys that should be in there down the road. You know, Rick the Model Martell. Um, you know, the late... Uh, you know, the late ravishing Rick Rude. Um, who else can we talk about? Uh, there, there's there's so many, there's so many great, there's so many great guys that still haven't even been scratched, that haven't even scratched the surface to be Hall of Famers. But they have their place. I'm sure within the next five years, Goldberg will be in the WWE Hall of Fame. I'm telling you, it's gonna happen. Because Goldberg Goldberg's contribution is, to professional wrestling cannot be ignored. Can't. Goldberg's going to be in there because he was a guy that that was that after the NWO bubble, he was the next guy that put WCW on the map. He was everywhere. Everywhere. From ready to rumble to, you know, commercials to everything else, Goldberg was there. Another guy that doesn't get a lot of a lot of a lot of press, but incredibly um, a, a, a guy who everybody can talk about, regardless of what pro, what promotion he's been in, is Scott Steiner. Scott Steiner and Rick Steiner, the Steiner brothers, should be in the Hall of Fame collectively. They should. Yes, Scott Steiner is a fucking lunatic, but he was entertaining as fuck. These are the guys who had the Frankensteiner, the Steiner line. You you know the dog face gremlin the music the the Michigan jackets you know the headgear on Rick Steiner all the iconic matches all the great moments and then when big when Scott Steiner became Big Papa Pump and that shit going to the next level and just taking it to a whole other level on WCW programming you can't forget shit like that you can't sweep it under the rug it is wrestling history it is iconic you can't ignore it. You can't you can't sweep it under the rug. It is something that we all remember. And I definitely feel that Macho Man deserves that honor. He he was an incredible performer whether it was WCW, WWE, hell, even briefly in TNA. Um he was just an incredible performer, incredibly intense, passionate, had some amazing matches. I mean, his match with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat is the match of legends. You know? Simple as that. Mortis writes, Scott Steiner can go in the Hall of Fame only if former WCW Tag Champion Judy Bagwell and former WCW World Heavyweight Champion David Arquette get inducted. While I while I do see a lot of humor in that, on a serious note, you got you have to agree that Scott Steiner and Rick Steiner should go in the Hall of Fame as the Steiner brothers. You got to admit that if Legion of Doom is in there, the Steiners should definitely be in there. All right, so let's talk a little bit about NXT. If you guys watched NXT last week, you probably saw the video vignette for Kevin Owens 
For those of you that don't know, Kevin Owens is former Ring of Honor standout Kevin Steen. Now, obviously, with the debuts of Hideo Itami and um, Finn Balor, or Finn Balor, depending on how you want to pronounce it, you know, um, you know, you know for a fact that the next big debut is going to be Kevin Steen. Now, will Kevin Steen cause uh, the one and only Sami Zayn to lose his title opportunity against Adrian Neville, given their storied history? That remains to be seen. Because if you guys want to see an incredible feud, go on YouTube and look up El Generico and Kevin Steen, which was Sami Zayn, who's Sami Zayn in, in NXT, and of course, Kevin Steen is Kevin Owens. Definitely look that up and you'll see what I'm saying. Uh, These guys have incredible chemistry, tremendous storytelling, and I would not be shocked if Kevin Owens cost Sami Zayn the the title opportunity against Adrian Neville. We'll see what happens. Mortis writes, I refuse to admit that, but I just don't like Scott Steiner. (laughs) Not a fan, huh? That guy, that guy's a guy that people either really love or really hate. But Scott Steiner was fucking amazing. His promos were out of this world. He had so many memorable, insane promos that you just can't, you can't ignore them. You can't sweep them under the rug. And I see shades of it in Ryback. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of Scott Steiner I see in Ryback. But Ryback has a little bit of that juvenile edge to him that makes him just a unique character. But there are shades of Scotty Steiner in Ryback's persona. You could see it. Not just the fact that he's jacked beyond belief, but just the way he does certain things is definitely shades of Scott Steiner. So um, TNA has a brand new home. I mentioned it briefly in passing last week, and that is Destination America, which um, you can look for on your local cable provider. They will be starting with Destination America in 2015. TNA does have um, a, a slate of uh, TV taping scheduled here in New York City, January 7th, 8th, and 9th. Uh, we're definitely hoping to attend those, and we'll be able to share some uh, insight into how TNA is going to look when they debut on Destination America. Again, I will keep you posted if and when that happens. So if you are in the Philadelphia area, you will be pleased to know that the 2015 Royal Rumble will be held in Philly, and there are rumors floating around that they're going to try and get some former ECW competitors to be involved in the Royal Rumble. I am sure that we will be seeing Tommy Dreamer or possibly Rob Van Dam as as participants in the Royal Rumble strictly because of the nostalgic presence that ECW has in Philadelphia. I'm sure, like I said, uh, Tommy Dreamer, Rhino, Rob Van Dam, maybe just incredible, you know, guys like that, that are, that are WCW mainstays. Who knows? We may see them. Who knows? Maybe we might see Sabu or the Sandman, but, um, it's going to be very interesting to see. So if you are an ECW fan, keep an eye out for the Royal Rumble in 2015. Cause you never know. Who, if any, of your favorites may show up. Uh, There are a lot of rumors floating around about Team 3D, the Dudley Boys, making their return to the WWE. We'll see if and when that happens, but I definitely feel that the Royal Rumble is as good a time as any. 
All right, so I did want to uh, send um, not so much uh, well wishes, but I definitely want to wish a speedy recovery to former WWE superstar Yoshi Tatsu, who wrestles for New Japan Pro Wrestling. He actually broke his neck after taking the Styles Clash from AJ Styles. He ha- he has two broken bones in his neck. Um, he was pulled. He had to pull out of the tag team tournament. Due to the neck injury, um, you know, this is the first time Yoshitatsu's ever been hospitalized. And again, he has two broken bones in his neck. Uh, definitely want to wish a speedy recovery to Yoshitatsu. Uh, neck injuries suck for pro wrestlers. And, you know, it could be the end of his career. Uh, the styles clash. A lot of people say that it's all about how people take the move. But I will admit that the move definitely, if it's taken, I will admit that if it definitely is taken incorrectly it will lead to some serious neck injuries now a lot of people have called for aj styles to stop to stop using the move but it is a move that is associated with his character so i don't know um you know i don't it it depends on who you ask but a lot of people will agree that he did he he took the move incorrectly even our very own mortis in the chat says i can't believe he tucked his chin while taking aj's finisher Dude, when I saw it, I was like, oh, my God. Because, again, and the fact that he broke two bones and he was still going to compete, and then they told him, like, dude, you got two broken bones in your neck is insane. But, um, again, Yoshitatsu is a solid performer, and I wish him a speedy recovery. Now, while we are on the subject of New Japan Pro Wrestling, I am pleased to announce that New Japan Pro Wrestling will be airing in the U.S. on Access Television uh, starting January 16th, 2015 at 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, 6 p.m. Pacific. And um, the 13-episode series premiere will be will have a commentary team of Mauro Ranallo and Josh Barnett. So if you are curious about New Japan Pro Wrestling and you want to learn more about teams like the Bullet Club and some of the other Japanese mainstays, I recommend that you add that date to your calendar because New Japan Pro Wrestling has some awesome talent there. Awesome. If you like guys like Hideo Itami, Finn Balor, those are guys that cut their teeth in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And if you want to learn more about the promotion that made them who they are, then definitely add that to your calendar. Again, New Japan Pro Wrestling 13-episode series uh, debuting January 16th on Access TV. I also got to throw a shout-out to El Rey and the work they've been doing with Lucha Underground, which has been tremendous from their production to the quality of their matches to the talent on display. Lucha Underground is definitely doing something unique and different. I can only hope that uh, Verizon Files here in New York City gets the El Rey network so that I can watch Lucha Underground on a consistent basis. Basis. Nonetheless, if you do have the El Rey Network, I recommend you give Lucha Underground a watch because there's a lot of great talent there and some amazing high-flying action. So, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling in January, Lucha Underground on the El Rey Network. I definitely recommend you check both of those out. Anyway, with that bit of news, we are going to wrap up this week's wrestling segment Let's jump into the gaming news of the week because there is definitely a lot to discuss and we are sprinting to the finish. Let's get it rolling. 
Uh, so I want to open things up with a brand new announcement for Killer Instinct Season 2. Uh, there's a new character debuting. His name is Khan Ra. And they actually showed video of him last week. He is a Babylonian sorcerer. Uh, looks a little bit. He has a little bit of a mummy motif to his character. Um, he will be debuting on Season 2's Ultra Edition, November 24th. If you don't have the Ultra Edition and you want to just pick up the individual character, you'll be able to pick him up November 30th. Conrad joins um, mainstays such as TJ Combo and Maya, who both are previous characters from from previous are characters from previous Killer Instinct games. Conrad is a brand new character that is joining the series again. Like I said, if you do have the uh, Season Two Ultra Edition. You can use the character starting November 24th. And if you are not a season pass owner and want to just pick up the individual character, you can get him on November 30th. So Super Smash Brothers, of course, came out last week and it is going in the record books as the fastest selling Wii U game ever in the U.S. surpassing Mario Kart 8. It sold over 490,000 physical and digital copies between November 21st and November 23rd. So uh, definitely record-breaking numbers for Super Smash Bros. Wii U. Um, More than 14 million Super Smash Bros. games have sold in the U.S. alone. Uh, The current Metacritic score for Super Smash Bros. is a 93, making it the highest-rated original game of this generation tied with last year's Super Mario World uh, 3D World game. Uh, the current user score um, from the fans is 9.2. That makes it the eighth Wii U game to have a Metacritic score of 85 or higher. So there you have it, guys. Super Smash Bros. Wii U has become the must-own title for the Wii U platform. It's one of the reasons why I want to pick up a Wii U this holiday season amongst some of the other titles that have come out the last couple of weeks. But I will commend the guys at Nintendo for creating a hit. And definitely, um, if you are a fan of Nintendo and you want to support the movement, do yourselves a favor, pick up the game if you haven't already. Because it's games like this that allow Nintendo to continue creating great games that we all enjoy. So again, if you're a Smash Brothers fan, definitely pick it up. I'm sure that... Come this holiday season, you will find plenty of people to play with because I know for a fact that it is on a lot of people's radar, including our own. If you read our uh, Rageworks gift guide for gamers, you will see that it is mentioned there quite a few times. Now, if you're unsure of any deals for that game, rest assured that we will be resharing our holiday gift guide after the show is over just so that you guys can get a jump on the holiday shopping from either online providers or if you're going to brave the the weather and brave the crowds and head out for black friday there's a couple of deals we definitely want to share with you guys um isaiah that that total that i shared is only for the wii u version physical and digital copies it does not count the 3ds which is crazy it surpassed mario kart 8 as the number one selling uh, correction as the fastest selling Wii U game ever in the U.S. That is a that is a big boast, guys. A definite big boast 
for Nintendo at this moment. Now, I do want to do want to talk about uh, some bundles that are well, some deals for Black Friday that I did want to share with you guys. Obviously, some of you guys are making the jump to next gen. Some of you guys aren't. But in any event, there are a couple of solid deals out there that I do want to recommend. Um, if you guys are in the market for a PlayStation 3, uh, they're selling a 500 gig PlayStation 3 with Lego Batman 3 and the Sly Collection at GameStop for $249. Um, it's going to be available from November 28th to November 30th. Now, if you're interested in picking up a couple of, of titles that may have gone under the radar, Best Buy's got some solid deals for, for games, and they're starting at around 8 bucks a pop. Um, you're getting Resistance 2, uh, Little Big Planet Karting, Twisted Metal, Gran Turismo 5, Little Big Planet 2 Special Edition, The Elder Scrolls 5 Skyrim, Dishonored Game of the Year Edition, Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, Sly Cooper Thieves in Time, and PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royal with a starting price of $7.99 each, available from November 27th to November 29th at Best Buy. So, if you're in the market or you just want to pile up on, you know, get a couple of games for your catalog, those are some of the titles you'll be able to be, uh, that'll be able to be picked up at Best Buy starting tomorrow through Black Friday. If you're in the market for a copy of Destiny, your best bet is going to be GameStop, which is selling it for $49.99 uh, November 28th, 29th, and 30th. Meanwhile, if you want to jump on the Call of Duty bandwagon, you can grab a copy for $49.99 on November 28th at GameStop. Now, here's, here's one set of titles that I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to pick up because the deals are pretty solid. Uh, Borderlands, the pre-sequel, NBA 2K15, and WWE 2K15 are going to be available for $39.99 at GameStop. Also, if you're in the in you know in the market for some first-person shooters, Sniper Elite 3 and Battlefield 4 will be available for $19.99 at GameStop. Also, Beyond Two Souls and Gran Turismo 6 can be picked up for $19.99 as well. Now, if you're in the market for um, some you know, and and this is uh, mostly some Toys R Us stuff. Um, there are buy one get one super buy games uh, on sale at Toys R Us. Also, certain PS3 games are going to be um, on sale between thirty five, twenty five, twenty, and fifteen dollars at Walmart. Call of Duty Advanced Warfare can be picked up for thirty nine dollars starting at six o'clock, uh, November twenty seventh at Walmart. If you're in the market for a PS4 bundle. There are a couple of solid ones. A PS4 with GTA 5 and The Last of Us Remastered can be picked up for $399 at Best Buy. Also, that same deal is running at GameStop. Toys R Us um, has that same deal, but there is also a second deal that's being offered. It's a PlayStation 4 with Lego Batman 3 and The Last of Us Remastered for $399 as well. There's also another bundle, but it's available on Walmart.com, and this one was probably going to be the one that everybody's going to be looking for, and that's going to be a PlayStation 4 bundle with your choice of two additional games for $449. So definitely check that out. If you're in the market for a PS4, that may be the deal for you. Um, It's a console and two games for $449. 
As you've seen some of the other bundles I've mentioned, it's GTA 5 and The Last of Us for $3.99, but for the extra 50 bucks, you get to pick your own games. So there you have it. That's only going to be available uh, today, November 27th, on Walmart.com only. There's also another deal, which is a PS4 with a $50 Walmart gift card, and that's going to be $3.99, and that's going to start going on sale at 6 o'clock on Thanksgiving, Ugh, terrible, at Walmart as well. Now, if you're in the market for some games on the PlayStation 4, Diablo 3, Reaper of Souls, FIFA, NBA 2K15, Watch Dogs, and Madden 15 can be picked up for $30 um, at Best Buy. The Evil Within, uh, Shadow of Mordor, and Wolfenstein can be picked up for $24.99. If you're in the market for Call of Duty Ghosts, Tomb Raider, MLB 14, The Show, Killzone, and Infamous Second Son, those are on sale for $19.99 at Best Buy. So, again, definitely some solid titles if you are in the market to build out your PlayStation library. Now, if you need a couple of peripherals, a lot of places are going to be running some deals. I will say that a PlayStation Plus 12-month membership can be picked up for 50 bucks at GameStop. So if you're in the market for a PS Plus membership, you're going to want to head to GameStop for that. Um, if you need a wireless headset, the PlayStation Gold wireless headset is on sale for $69.99 at GameStop as well. And if, you're, if you want to check out the PlayStation TV, that's actually being offered for $80 at GameStop. So definitely a lot of solid bundles there. And um, again, we're going to try and share some of those on our social media accounts over the holiday weekend. If you have any questions on where you can get some of this stuff, feel free to reach out to me either on Twitter, Facebook, Google Plus, whatever. And if I'm around, I will definitely try and get those details for you. Um, one other resource you're going to want to use is bfads.net. That's blackfridayads.net. They actually get all the ads from all the retailers for Black Friday. So definitely use that if you plan on making the run after your Thanksgiving dinner or on Black Friday to pick up some stuff. So there you have it. But for every good Sony deal, there is some negative press for Sony this week. And that is a, um, a charge from the Federal Trade Commission, which is that Sony will now have to give money to consumers that bought the PlayStation Vita between June 1st, 2012 and now because the FTC charges that the company deceive customers with false advertising. So there you have it. If you are a PlayStation Vita owner you're gonna and you want to get in on that, you're going to get some money back from Sony due to the FTC ruling that Sony uh, deceived customers with false advertising. So... Uh, definitely a very interesting time. If you got bitten in the ass by the PlayStation Vita, you may be in line for a little money. Um, the settlement is either $25 cash or credit refund or a $50 merchandise voucher for select games or services. Sony will notify those eligible with an email after the settlement is finalized by the FTC. So there you have it. If you're a Vita owner, you may be in line to get either some money or get some merchandise vouchers to buy some stuff. So there you have it. Sucks, but definitely um, I can understand where the deceptive practice stance came from because Sony did acknowledge that 
there was going to be all this remote play functionality and all this other stuff, but there definitely were a lot of catches in order for you to get that get that particular feature to work, and they got bitten in the ass for it. And because of it, some of you guys may be in line to get a little money for your troubles. Now, I want to close things out with our friends at Ubisoft who are in trouble because of the countless bugs that have been on display for Assassin's Creed Unity. This ranges from pixel issues, gaming issues, uh, distortion, you name it. It's caused countless issues and pissed off a lot of gamers, but Ubisoft is looking to soften the blow and make things right by discontinuing the season pass for Assassin's Creed Unity and giving out all the DLC for free. Players that bought a season pass for the game will be offered a free Ubisoft game of their choice. Either The Crew, Far Cry 4, Watch Dogs, Assassin's Creed 4, Black Flag, Rayman's Legends, uh, Rayman Legends, excuse me, or Just Dance 2015. The players who own the game will be eligible for a discount, um, will be eligible to download Assassin's Creed Unity Dead Kings DLC expansion for free. Uh, I definitely got to commend Ubisoft for acknowledging the elephant in the room and the problems that were at play with regards to their game. Because of it, a lot of fans will benefit. If you're in the market for the DLC, you will be getting it for free. And if you did buy the season pass, you will be in line to get a game from those that I listed. I will try to include those in the show notes as well, because if you were burned because of the glitches and the countless problems and they took away from your Assassin's Creed experience, then I definitely want to make sure to provide you guys information so that you guys can get some uh, compensation for your troubles. All right. With that said, that is actually going to wrap up our gaming segment for this week. Uh, We got a lot of entertainment news on deck, so let's get that ball rolling. We may actually make it to our 2 a.m. end time without going over. We'll see how that goes. Anyway, let's talk some movies and TV, shall we? So it looks like this past weekend's movie totals um, belong to the Mockingjay as the Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1 owned the box office with a $123 million total, dethroning Big Hero 6 and bumping it to number 2, which earned an additional 20.1, bringing its total to $135.7 million. Interstellar moved down to number 3, earning an additional $15.1 million. Dumb and Dumber 2 came in at number four. Gone Girl was at number five. Beyond the Lights was number six. St. Vincent was number seven. Fury was number eight. Birdman with Michael Keaton came in at number nine. And the Nightcrawler film with Jake Gyllenhaal came in at number 10, earning $1.2 million and $27 million overall. Of course, this weekend... We got the Madagascar Penguins movie. We got Horrible Bosses 2. So a couple of movies that, you know, may make a slight dent in the box office. But I think those people that missed out on Mockingjay may probably jump in and may, and may keep Mockingjay in the number one slot. From what I've heard, 
not only from Danny on last week's show, but from other listeners as well, is that the Mockingjay film currently is a film that's not that you don't have to run to the theater to see. But if you are a fan and you want to check it out, by all means do so. But if you are someone who has read the book, the film definitely focuses on the more slow and mundane aspects of that particular book. We'll see what happens. Will it hold on to number one? Of course, we will definitely break that down on next week's show. If you do happen to go see Horrible Bosses 2, drop me a line on Twitter or Facebook, um, on Twitter at my take radio or at rage underscore works or on our Facebook fan page. I'm curious to hear what you guys think about it. I personally wasn't impressed with the first film, but I know some of you guys really enjoyed it. So by all means, kindly share your thoughts. I definitely would love to hear them and possibly discuss them on air as well. So in an, in an era of, of DC and Marvel films being constantly talked about on the show, um, there's a film that I really enjoyed, even though it didn't, it wasn't as close to the book as possible. That is actually getting a sequel greenlighted, and that is Wanted. If you guys have read or uh, the Wanted books, you know that the movie was a far departure from what the book was all about. But nonetheless, the movie was a pretty serviceable action flick, and um, it looks like we are getting a sequel to Wanted. It is going to happen, and. Um, they spoke to Mark Platt, um, superhero hype spoke to him, and um, it looks like the film is definitely starting to take shape. Mark Millar is going to be involved once again. There is no release date, there is no casting, but Wanted 2 is definitely going to happen. So if you're a fan of the films or a fan of the books, be on the lookout, and of course, once we hear more, we will share it with you guys. Now... On the flip side, I mentioned last week in passing before we closed out the show that Christoph Waltz was rumored to be joining the brand new James Bond film as a villain. Well, this week we find out that the villain that he's joined that he's going to be portraying is one of the most iconic Bond villains played by numerous memorable characters, Donald Pleasance being one of my favorites, and that is the character of Blowfield. Now, if you are a, a longtime Bond film aficionado like myself, you know that the character Ernst Stavro Blofeld was the head of Spectre, which was a uh, criminal organization, of course, that caused a lot of headaches for 007. Like I said, he's been played by, uh, memorably by Donald Pleasance, also played by Telly Savalas, Max von Sydow, and Charles Gray. Now, if you don't remember, Blofeld usually had a scar over his eye, and he usually had a Turkish Angora cat that was white that was usually with him at all times. <clears throat> now, a ca- uh, an iconic actor like Christoph Waltz definitely is going to bring a more sinister twist to a character like Blowfield, considering how more realistic the um, considering how realistic the Daniel the Daniel Craig James Bond films have been. I do look forward to seeing Christoph Waltz in that role. As I said, that's pretty much the rumor thus far, and it's been pretty strong, and hopefully once we get some more casting news, we'll be able to shed some more light on it. But I'm definitely pumped to see Daniel Craig sharing screen time with the always entertaining Christoph Waltz. Ah, man. So I talked about this last summer. 
uh, well, during the summer, I should say. And um, I knew it would come to bite films, uh, to bite everyone in the ass. And that is The Expendables. Now, as you guys know, Expendables 1 and 2 were memorable for a ton of reasons. Number one, obviously, because it had so many iconic action heroes that really it just made the, the action buff in us extremely happy. The Expendables 2 was memorable because it got Jean-Claude Van Damme on screen with the rest of the Expendables in an incredibly memorable role as Jean Villan. Now, The Expendables 3, we expected was going to continue that trend and just be a better film overall. Unfortunately, The Expendables 3 decided that it would want to mainstream by going with a PG-13 rating. Now, that PG-13 rating resulted in a film that was substantially less enjoyable than the first two films. Um, the the desire for mainstream appeal definitely bit them in the ass, and Sylvester Stallone, uh, excuse me, Sylvester Stallone acknowledged that, and I'll tell you why. The uh, The Expendables 3 made only $39.3 million in the U.S. box office. Overseas, it made 2602 but still, it definitely was a problematic total for a series that cost $90 million for the third installment. When asked about future films getting an R rating, Sylvester Stallone told Crave Online the following, Absolutely, unequivocally, yes. I believe it was a horrible miscalculation on everyone's part in trying to reach a wider audience, but in doing such, diminish the violence that the audience expects. I'm quite certain it won't happen again. He also added, it's a, it is a big conflict for me because an R-rated film is difficult to believe. It, it is difficult to believe that none of the heroes die. I personally just believe that the characters become identifiable and their demise could put a dark cloud over an audience exiting a theater after seeing a film. But that may change in Expendables 4. Stallone added that Mel Gibson was originally sought to direct Expendables 4. He said, I wanted, a, um, excuse me, Expendables 3. He said, I wanted Mel Gibson to direct originally because he's an extraordinary filmmaker. But after several months of discussing it, this ultimately was not to be. But he did say he wanted to be in the movie and play the villain. My response was a definite yes. Suit up. Now, for those of you that are interested in giving the Expendables a second shot, they are releasing a PG-13 cut plus an unrated extended edition that runs an additional five minutes. Now, I don't know how much of a difference the five minutes will make, but I'm curious to see if we get some CGI blood in there. Either way, The Expendables will go back to its R-rated roots with the fourth installment. There's a rumor that Van Damme may be back to play the twin brother of Jean Villan. It sounds like everybody's action wet dream coming back to the big screen again we'll see what happens the the nostalgia and the magic of the first film um definitely was still prevalent in the second film but was lost in the third i hopefully i hope that they go uh back to its r-rated roots and they recruit more iconic action stars i mean there's still a lot of guys out there like i said you still got steven seagal you got jackie chan and just countless others, um, Scott Atkins, Daniel Bernhardt. I believe Ad Atkins was actually in two, and Daniel Bernhardt was in one. But that doesn't mean that you can't bring him back as other characters. Uh, same thing, guys like Marco Zoror, 
uh, Donnie Yen. There, there's so many, like uh, Tony Jaa, of course. There's so many different action stars that are still out there that if you put them on the big screen in The Expendables, they definitely would make the film entertaining. But I commend Sylvester Stallone for acknowledging that the film was a complete dud and that the PG-13 rating did not do it any favors. I said that every week leading up to the release of the film, and I even said it after I saw it, that the PG-13 film plus Kellen Lutz ruined that entire movie. But we'll see what happens. Will they redeem themselves in the fourth? I will keep you guys posted. But until then, definitely keep it locked here. All right, so... I, I, I'm a little bummed out about the next bit of news I want to report because if you've been watching Constantine on NBC and you're a comic book fan, you know that Constantine has been doing a serviceable job acknowledging the darker aspects of the DC universe. I believe that the, um, the casting, the stories are all incredibly well done, but unfortunately it's not that good. In ter- well, uh, let me let me rephrase that. Its future is not looking that good. Um, NBC put in an order for 13 episodes, which will continue airing at 10 p.m. on Fridays for the rest of its run. But what's going to happen is that NBC has not ordered episodes for a second season. Do you know it's it's um, the future is definitely cloudy for Constantine. It is unknown right now if it's going to get canceled but it definitely does not look well. Um, I feel that Constantine could definitely get a second life on a cable channel, uh, maybe FX or AMC, just because you could go a little darker. Or if they were smart, Netflix would pick it up and maybe do it on Netflix. I do feel that the stories that are told on Constantine, um, like I said, are very well done. The actor that plays Constantine, he um, he was in Assassin's Creed Black Flag uh, playing the lead there, and he's just tremendous. I like his work as John Constantine. I'm just bummed out that NBC has not invested more energy into promoting the show effectively. Odds are that Hannibal will probably take the 10 p.m. slot on Friday, which, you know, Hannibal's a great show, but I did want to see Constantine get a little bit more of a run. Maybe that'll change. Hopefully another network will pick it up, or NBC will take a gamble and give it a second season. We'll see what happens, but like I said, it's a solid show. If you enjoy it as much as I do, uh, definitely make it make yourselves heard on social media. Uh, find ways to get out there and promote the show and get more people to watch it because it is very well done, and it's probably one of the better, darker DC shows on broadcast television. Uh, obviously, this is separate from Arrow and The Flash because... The, the elements of Constantine are substantially darker. But um, there you go, guys. Definitely, like I said, if you're watching Constantine, uh, make your voice heard, and um, hopefully we will get a second season. All right, so let's talk about some Marvel casting news. Of course, it is not an entertainment segment without some casting news from the Marvel side of things, and it looks like we finally have our apocalypse for X-Men Apocalypse, and that is Oscar Isaac. Isaac will be playing in Sabbath Nur, who, of course, is the first mutant in X-Men continuity. Um, he obviously goes on to become Apocalypse. Um, Oscar Isaac is a surprisingly versatile actor. Uh, many of you may know him from Sucker Punch that he was in. He is also going to be in Star Wars The Force Awakens. 
and he's been in a couple of other films as well. He's getting um, rave reviews for his work in A Most Violent Year. And like I said, a very versatile and very underrated actor. I'm curious to see how he brings Apocalypse to life. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Like I said, I have no problems with the casting. Uh, X-Men Apocalypse hits theaters May 27th, 2016. Meanwhile, on the DC side of things, it looks like Wonder Woman has a director as Michelle McLaren is officially on board to direct Wonder Woman. Uh, McLaren, who many of you may know for her work on Breaking Bad and also work behind the camera on Game of Thrones and Walking Dead, is going to be stepping behind the camera to direct Wonder Woman. I don't know if we're going to be getting uh, World War II style Wonder Woman or if we're going to get a more modern twist, but either way... Uh, definitely keep an eye out because McLaren is definitely a hot commodity. She's currently working on the second episode of AMC's Better Call Saul. And um, Wonder Woman, of course, will be making her first appearance in Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice. No release date yet for the Wonder Woman solo film, but as soon as I have a firm release date, I will share it with you guys. All right, so... Uh, this is something that I kind of, I'm not shocked about, and I knew it was only a matter of time before it was official, but it looks, and you can pretty much chalk this up as a what the fuck movie news story, it looks like we will be getting an Independence Day 2, it has officially been greenlit by 20th Century Fox, uh, Deadline reports that the studio has given the green light with a, um, June 24th, 2016 release date. Um, It looks like they're going to start shooting the film in May. There is no uh, Will Smith uh, Welcome to Earth return thus far. It looks only like we will be seeing Jeff Goldblum. Nonetheless, as long as we got Bill Pullman doing another awesome presidential speech, I'm all in. The problem is with a film like Independence Day, and some of you guys may agree, is that when Independence Day came out back in the day, it was an incredibly... Uh, It was an incredible effects-heavy film that yielded some awesome results. Unfortunately, it has not aged well. If you watch Independence Day now on cable, you realize that it looks like complete shit. Uh, The HD definitely exposes a substantial amount of flaws, but I'm curious to see where they take the story and with the incredible special effects that are available now, how well they they can convey excuse me, how well they can actually make the alien destruction look on screen. I mean, if you guys saw the recent trailer for Jurassic Park, which we're going to be posting on Rageworks, you guys will understand what I'm talking about. When you watch Jurassic Park the first time, you thought that it was amazing, mind-blowing, beautiful. And of course, when it got remastered and released on DVD, you still felt the same way. Obviously, its sequels were not up to par, but nonetheless... There was a sense of wonder. There was a sense of enjoyment that you saw from a film like Jurassic Park and even a film like Independence Day. That Independence Day, when you watched it back then, it was rah, rah, America, you know, just the, the great speeches, the, the heavy action, the, the gentle sprinklings of comedy here and there. You'd all be dead now if it wasn't for my son, David, you know, like shit like that. There's, there's a lot of good in Independence Day, but now when you watch it, with a fresh set of eyes, you realize that there was a, a fuckload of flaws, but we can only hope that a sequel can learn from its mistakes, 
utilize all the great effects that are available now and deliver uh, an amazing sci-fi epic. Again, we'll see what happens. June 24th, 2016 is the release date for that. All right. So with that, that is actually going to wrap up this week's entertainment segment. And um, it's actually going to wrap up our show. I can't believe we actually stayed under the uh, the three-hour mark, minus um, all the audio and video issues, which we hope to have resolved next week. Um, a couple of things before we close out. Uh, 2015 is a, a big year for MTR. We got a lot of stuff on the horizon, um, mostly with Rageworks, more so with My Take Radio, because My Take Radio will continue to be your number one source for MMA, wrestling, gaming, and entertainment commentary. And I will see to it that we continue delivering that week in and week out. But there are going to be some changes um, across the board for a couple of things, but that will not change us giving you guys a kick-ass show every week. Um, 2015 is shaping up to be an awesome year. We're going to be covering more events. We're going to be doing more reviews. We're trying to establish better partnerships. And most of all, we are trying to work on putting together some events in 2015, maybe a, uh, a my take radio listener hangout. Uh, we've, we've discussed that casually, get a couple of the listeners together, maybe in the city in midtown, uh, you know, maybe some bowling or some food or something, catch up, swap some stories, press some flesh, meet some of you guys face to face. Uh, something we definitely want to try and do in 2015, uh, talk to a couple of different people about it. And they definitely think that it would be cool if we did it. Um, once we have more details, of course, we will share that with you guys. Um, in closing, it is officially now uh, 1.50 in the morning, Eastern Standard Time, and it is officially Thanksgiving. So for those of you that do celebrate, I want to take a moment and wish you guys a happy Thanksgiving from myself and the rest of the MTR family. Definitely try and enjoy and indulge in as much food as possible. Please remember family first. Uh, enjoy your time with them before heading out into the abyss that is Black Friday or even Black Thursday if you want to uh, you know head out there after eating all your food and you want to walk it off again sm- shop smart sharp educated and most importantly have a blast out there again uh definitely thankful for all of you guys that tune in and listen every week and support us on social media as always if you want to keep up with my take radio and rageworks on Twitter, you can find us at My Take Radio or at Rage underscore Works. You can find us on Google Plus, either for uh, My Take Radio or Facebook. You can become a fan on Facebook for either brand. And last but not least, if you want to watch video episodes, you can find us on YouTube, uh, youtube.com forward slash official Rage Works or youtube.com forward slash My Take Radio TV. The goal is. Um, in 2015 to start condensing some of that stuff just because it's a lot of stuff for you guys to follow. And, um, we're going to try and clean that up a little bit in the new year. Again, thank you guys for tuning in. You can find archived episodes of my take radio on iTunes, Stitcher, or tune in radio. But if you want the best, my take radio experience, pick up the official, my take radio app available for Android, iOS, and windows mobile devices. It costs $1.99. It gives you access to 96K stereo episodes, mobile wallpapers, and so much more. Be on the lookout for this week's episode, which should be available within the next 24 hours, as well as a Thanksgiving buried special 
from Quark and Blade. All right, guys. Again, thank you all for tuning in and for your continued support. I will see you guys next Wednesday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. That's it. Peace. That's all, folks.